Hi, I'm Joe White, the voice of Chris Redfield. When I'm not surviving the horror of the Spencer Mansion, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red-tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off! Survivor's mouth. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters. We're both gonna die. Wait, don't shoot. Down. I lost all my men because of her. All is lost. Cries of agony. Scars. Unity breeds power. Enter the Spencer Mansion for this evening's Crimson Head Elder podcast with our special star guest who you just heard voicing his iconic line that announces the start of every Resident Evil game. Yes, we have with us tonight Joe White, actor for Chris Redfield and the iconic voice that has been insidiously howling Resident Evil for over a decade. Welcome to the third Crimson Head Elder podcast, showcasing with Joe White, Resident Evil Remaster HD, where you will hear his finest work. Now, over to you, Joe. Welcome to the third Crimson Head Elder podcast, where we make evil. Ah, well, you, you may have recognised that voice there in the, in, in the background. We're very lucky to have with us today Joe White, the voice of Chris Redfield from Resident Evil Remake. You, you know, want to hear how the original uh, opening of that sounded? Oh, yes. Go on, then. Like this. Resident Evil! <laughs> <laughs> Was it very much on your feedback they decided to change that, Joe? Yes, yes. I, I, uh, fortunately, I was able to drive them in a, a much scarier uh direction shinji's a crazy guy he <laughs> well i have to yeah, tell you i know that is evil within game it's creepy well having said that some of the more ridiculous decisions that they've made in the resident evil series have actually come after shinji left but uh, the, the, yeah the least said about that the better alpha team is flying around the forest zone situated in northwest raccoon city where we are searching for the helicopter of our compatriots bravo team who disappeared during the middle of their mission. Bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in Raccoon City. There are outlandish reports of families being attacked by a group of about ten people. Victims were apparently eaten. The Bravo team was sent in to investigate, but we lost contact. Look, Chris! Bravo Team's helicopter was a derelict. Save for the remaining body of Kevin. Uh, 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 uh. 
We continued our search for the other members, and it turned into a nightmare. So, welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast, reviewing and debating Resident Evil Remaster HD, with the game's main protagonist, our star guest for this evening's podcast, actor for Chris Redfield, Joe White, who also, as you just heard then, is the iconic main title voice that has been sending shivers down our spines for over a decade now. Also on tonight's podcast, we have residents from the site, starting with Albert Wesker187. Hello, everybody. Uh, we've got the Oracle Dragon. Hello. And also welcome, new to the Crimson Head Older podcast, we have Shimiji. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm Shimeji from YouTube, and I also do a podcast on Saturdays at 8 called I Got Gameplay. So maybe you and some people have heard me from that as well. I, wait, I don't have an avatar name. I, I, I think I want to be, um, I want to be Rabid Zombie Dog 1961. <laughs> I, I'm not, not Chris Redfield, oh well. <laughs> nah, you gotta have a you have to have a nom de plume. Yeah. You need that uh, alter ego. Well, there were not there were enough Chris Redfield fanboys out there anyway. So exactly, my point exactly. Uh, we've had many in the community show great enthusiasm for our interview with Joe today. Uh, lots of questions from you all. Thank you very much. And I'll start. Well, I'm going to jump right in there with with a sort of question that would normally leave to the end, but. Uh, I'm going to keep you on your toes, Joe, if that's okay. <laughs> and um, uh, the Oracle—I'll I'll bring it on. Bring, the... <laughs> bring it on. The Oracle Dragon, who's here with us today, she she's asked, "How does it feel to be part of such a legendary game series?" Um, it it feels pretty darn good. I got to tell you, you know, it's um, it's surprising to me because when we did the project. Uh, it, you know, it was, I, it was at the, right at the beginning of my voiceover career. Um, I, I, I call it a career with a, a large grain of salt. Um, but, um, yeah, I had no idea at the time because when I first did the voiceover, I really wasn't a gamer. I had no idea, uh, what the, 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 the scope and the impact of Resident Evil was, was going to be. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm incredibly honored um, that people still want to talk about that performance, and um, yeah, so, so I feel great about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I'm, I'm pleased you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've 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 yet to have a voice actor particularly pissed off that they that, that they were associated with Resident Evil. Maybe they were, although they were just being polite. I don't know. Being being involved with Resident Evil has basically destroyed my career. <laughs> Uh, people always typecast me now as Chris Redfield, and I, I can't get cast as anything other than a star's agent. <laughs> Many people in my life, particularly those close to me, family and friends, will tell you that being involved with Resident Evil has ruined my life. Uh, well, <laughs> so, socially, anyway. Um, right. <laughs> well, well, that's interesting what you said about your, your past endeavours as a video game player, because it, that actually neatly brings me on to my next question, which um, is asked by USS Command. He wanted to ask, actually, prior to your work with Capcom, whether you had, in fact, played video games in general, or uh, more specifically Resident Evil itself. You know, before I did the voiceover for Resident Evil, I wasn't a big gamer. I had played, of course, you know, a, a few video games uh, casually, but I, 
I, I never um, was uh, what you would call a dedicated player or, or a hardcore player by any means. Um, oh, but were you at all inspired to become a gamer after this experience? Actually, I'm quite a big gamer now. Uh, I really enjoy playing all kinds of video games. Actually, I'm, I'm more into um, more into uh, sort of console and PC Mac games than than I am casual gaming. I don't really like to play um, iPad or iPhone, you know, casual gaming type stuff. That's not really my my thing. And uh, the game that really inspired me uh, was the was the remake, the one that I did the voiceover in. Um, I didn't really, I didn't, I never played the first one, the one that uh, that was remade. Um, I only played the uh, the one that I was in, and then I, I got hooked on that, and then I, I played um, Resident Evil Zero, which was quite a good game. Loved that one, and Resident Evil Four, which I really liked as well. Uh, Resident Evil 4 is probably my favorite. Didn't really like 5 or 6. They, they just didn't... Uh, the games just didn't speak to me. But, um, you know, they're, they they look good, but uh, it's just not the same experience. You know, it's not that old-school uh, horror genre um, feeling that, that, you ha- that you had, um, especially with the remake. And what better place to find that old-school horror genre feeling than the deserted star's office, the location of Chris Redfield's diary, now read in character by his official voice actor, Joe White, exclusively for Crimson Head Elder. August 8th. I talked to the chief today once again, but he refused to listen to me. I know for certain that Umbrella conducted T-virus research in that mansion, Anyone infected turns into a zombie. But the entire mansion went up in that explosion, along with any incriminating evidence. Since Umbrella employs so many people in this town, no one is willing to talk about the incident. (sighs) Looks like I'm running out of options. August 17th. We've been receiving a lot of local reports about strange monsters appearing at random throughout the city. This must be the work of Umbrella. August 24th. With the help of Jill and Barry, I finally obtained information vital to this case. Umbrella has begun research on the new G-Virus, a variation of the original T-Virus. Haven't they done enough damage already? We talked it over and have decided to fly to the main Umbrella HQ in Europe. I won't tell my sister about this trip because doing so could put her in danger. Please forgive me, Claire. time that I did this, I was working at uh, Disney Feature Animation and kind of got my start doing voiceover there, doing scratch uh, vocals for some of the films. And it was it was through uh, my work at Disney that I got hooked up with um, uh, some voiceover agencies and, and whatnot and actually started doing professional work. And I actually did not get the job on Resident Evil through an agent or through an audition process. Uh, Basically uh, my wife 
was working at Sound Deluxe, which is where the game was recorded. Uh, Sound Deluxe no longer exists. It's it's uh, it was sold off, and uh, most of the people from that group have gone on to form the Formosa Group uh, here in Hollywood. Um, but uh, my wife was working there as an office manager at the time, and I happened to be in the studio one day, and uh, we were talking with Carol Rougier, who was the casting person for the for the project. And uh, my wife happened to mention that I was an actor and did voiceover work. And uh, Carol said, can you try to match this this uh, voiceover, which was the original voiceover? They said, can you match this? We're, we're doing this project. It's called Resident Evil. And I had no clue uh, that it was the big thing that it was. So I, I did a little uh, quick audition and, and uh, they said, yeah, that's pretty good. Do you want to do this part? And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's 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 interesting because that you were asked to voice match if I'm right the Chris Redfield not from the original Resident Evil game that you the game that you were to be part of was a remake upon, but from the Chris Redfield's character from Code Veronica. Basically, they asked me to match the dialogue from the original game that we were remaking. So whoever whoever that voice actor was, they wanted me to try and match the quality yes of of his voiceover. Okay. Uh, and so I was, you know, our, our voices happened to be very similar and they, and they liked, uh, what I did. And, uh, during the recording of the game, they, uh, you know, they were, they would play little bits of his voice to try to have me, uh, match it. Oh, but nice. after, after a while, they liked what I was doing naturally better. So they said, you know, let's stop voice matching this guy and just go ahead and do, you know, do yourself. That's, um, that's interesting because um, people are keen to know whether voice matching is, is part of the Resident Evil formula with there sometimes being so many changes with, with voice actor. Mm-hmm. Um, never been told this before. You were actually specifically played past dialogue from re- from that 1996 Resident Evil game. That is correct. Oh, yes. Okay. No offense, uh, but they have probably one of the worst voice acting I've ever heard in a video game, but then again, it was early in its time, so maybe that's why. Exactly right. You know, uh, the, in the history of video game voiceover, a lot of the early games were simply voiced by people who worked at the game companies. Um, they, they didn't even get to, uh, you know, they didn't start hiring professional voiceover people until, uh, until years into the, the video game creation process. You know, and it's only recently that uh, big stars have started doing cameos in uh, in in the voiceover in in games, particularly. Uh, a lot of stars are are now dropping into um, feature animation and cartoons and starting to pick up that work, which traditionally was held by non name actors. Uh, you know, professional voiceover people who, um, in in my opinion, generally better at doing voiceover than than uh, name actors. No wonder, yeah, because I, like you said, you're saying that the, the original actors didn't even have names. They just like names like Charlie, Inazad. Right, exactly. So yeah. it's probably someone working at the company, you know. Uh, not, not to dwell on that point, just to ask you, there was no specific reference then back to the, the, the previous Chris Redfield incarnation, which was Code Veronica. Right. Okay. They gave me, um, you know, I had specific guidelines, and and certainly um, Carol Rougier was uh, in the was in the booth with Shinji. I forget exactly who uh, from Capcom was in the booth when we were doing the recording, but she kind of uh, took their direction. There was a bit of a language barrier 
they didn't speak very good English. Yeah. And and I don't speak. I, th I think I speak four words of Japanese. So <laughs> they would they would tell they would tell Carol uh, what they wanted from a particular line or a particular read, and she would relay that information to me, and uh, then we would, we would do the recording. You know. Okay. Okay. So that, that that's something that we're often asked about. Actually, is is, is language barriers in terms of the direction that you're given coming from the source from the developers but then you know how that's communicated over to you you were mentioning joe that after a while of the voice matching that that progressed into something else yes generally speaking in a voiceover session you have your set of lines in front of you and you will do generally speaking three takes on a line so you'll you'll read that line you know uh jill come over here jill come over here jill come over here you know, you give them three yeah. different takes on that on that line, and uh, if they like one of those, they'll say, "Okay, we'll take number two on that read." Um, can you give us one more, more, uh, more dramatic or or more intense? Or they'll give you some you know direction to go with. And so during the course of doing my my three takes on the lines, they liked what I was doing naturally instead of. You know, when I was uh, duplicating the previous read from the other actor, they liked what my takes were more than the, the duplication of the previous reads. After uh, after a couple of hours of that, they said, you know what, we really like what you're doing. Just let's stop doing the voice match and just go ahead and do your own thing. And, and we're happy with that. So okay. that's kind of how that happened. So and how, I mean, at the time, how did that feel? I mean, did, was it quite nerve wracking? I mean, did you now that you kind of had full... Uh, no, it was very freeing. Oh, because okay. now I didn't have to try to put myself in a box. I could just do whatever I felt was right. Yeah, you know, so it really kind of freed me up to uh, to to bring more of my original, my my official self to Chris Redfield character as opposed to trying to put on something. And is, is, is that when you really develop the tone that we, we discussed in, in our previous conversation? Just in general, the Resident Evil characters in line with the gameplay have become brasher, more bombastic, maybe more generic in, in, in their voices. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but so when you were given that more freedom, was that when you then decided to take on this more low-key tone? Yes. That, that, okay. yeah. yeah, that was, you know, I, I thought I, I really want... I, you know, the, the, the brash world, uh, world wrestling federation style voiceovers have their place, but I think that they can really be overdone and generic and boring stereotypes of, of these heroic characters. And I think yeah. that really, you know, heroism to me is a guy who gets caught in the wrong circumstances and, uh, is, you know, basically crapping his pants with fear. Uh, but he gets through the situation because, you know, because of the choices that he makes. So, I, yeah. I chose to, uh, to to make him a more real person uh, as opposed to a stereotypical hero because that's what the character kind of reads as. You know, he's... Yeah. Um, Wesker? You know, he's horrified Jill? that he has to be in this in this situation. Yeah. And I think that, especially in a horror Where did they genre video game, you don't want the character to be an over-the-top hero guy because then what is what is there to... He's not afraid of anything. If he's a big World Wrestling Federation hero, hmm. he's going to march through this mansion, uh, killing zombies. You know, and and he's not. You're not going to feel the fear as you're playing that character. You as yeah. the player are not going to be a feeling the the uh, intense emotions that the game makers want you to feel. 
well, certainly my criticism, and I know other criticisms of the more the newer direction that the series has taken, has been of that that the fear has been taken out of it. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, yeah. And and all, and although they were obviously stars members, that they were not expecting anything like the scenario that they were faced. So again, I, I, I you're absolutely right. This was this wasn't a situation they were trained for. It wasn't a situation they were expecting. And yeah. I remember playing it for the first time. And finding Jill and particular Chris's cadence very distinctive in that it almost induced more fear and more concern, and it was very unnerving because they weren't confident and rushing in with exactly. with, with brash, confident dialogue. Right, right, exactly my point. You know, one of the things that actually made me jump out of my seat when I first played the game was when you're walking down that that hallway with the windows on the right hand side and the dogs break through. When I, I think I probably pooped a little when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> Just a little, but I did. You wouldn't have been the first or the last. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great moment. And, you know, you, but you wouldn't have felt that if, if the characters were too brave. Yeah. And you just, you have to put yourself, you know, it's... Any one of us could be put in a situation where you don't know what's happening, something, you know... Uh, it, even even the most hardened street cop who has seen you know murders and and dead people imagine putting that person in a situation where the dead are coming back to life and attacking even the, the hardest real human being is going to be scared out of their wits in a circumstance like that so let's play them like that let's be real people in these games that's yeah, what gives, yeah. that's what gives the player that visceral experience and isn't that what we're looking for? I mean, when we play a game, we want to escape reality. We want to put ourselves in a situation that we wouldn't ever be put in in, in real life. That's, you know, that's part of the game. It's a frustration that we don't have the series in the hands of those that that, that, that feel the same. Obviously, it's rather different when we're talking about a, a financial company on, uh, with financial motivations. But... Um, yeah, that that that's really the the ideal there to try and marry that gameplay with commercial success, I suppose. Right. Um, Money ruins everything. We're going to certainly find out, I think, with the sales figures for the HD remaster. And yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what the you know what the new breed of gamers make of this. Those that wouldn't have that wouldn't have played it and that are playing it for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, because I think I think the success of that game or not so will will shape the future of the series very much. Well, I hope it does. I hope it has an effect on, on the future of the, the, the franchise. You know, and I hope that it doesn't feel... I, th I hope that the young gamers who are going to play this for the first time when it comes out don't uh, feel that it's archaic in terms of pace. I, I hope that, the, um, th that they get that, that feeling of uh, slow-building terror and uh, a story that's allowed to evolve as opposed to you know, this fast-paced stuff that, that so many games today are. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, that was a reservation that was quite prominent in my mind. I was playing it, and I was very mindful that I'd been walking around for quite a long time, and that and there'd been no gunshot for at least 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and that's what my thought is entirely. Well, well, you know, how is the young breeder gamer going to cope you know, without, right. the, without the sound of gunfire? I agree in that sense. I mean, it's like, it's like Joe White was saying right now. Hopefully the, the people that play this game will actually feel that, that tension of the atmosphere. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they'll probably be like you when you first played the game, Paul. They took you like 12 hours because you're running around the same table over and over again. Shh, shh, shh. Not on a live podcast. <laughs> you can always edit that out. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, I put up with that because I knew that there was a game waiting to be found in there. <laughs> That's okay. I, I spent about eight hours ramming my head into a vase in one of the hallways trying to figure out what the heck I was supposed to do. So, you know. <laughs> See, Paul, you're not alone in your in your fight, so it's okay. You should feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you didn't refer to me as George Trevor, so perhaps, you know, no one will really know who you're speaking to there. <laughs> All the memories of seeing the first zombie. Ah, the zombie! Yeah! Oh, is that blood? Oh my gosh, it is! Look at his face! Oh. Here comes in my brother-in-law. What is that? <gasps> Can we turn the lights on? I don't want to play this. I don't want to play this game in the dark, man. It is hilarious. Here's two little kids playing Resident Evil for the first time, and here comes a full-grown adult, my brother-in-law, coming in, sees a zombie, freaks out, and leaves. Well, there you go. The the fact that your parents allowed you to play Resident Evil as a child, kind of um. You know that that speaks a lot to who you've become today. The the, the twisted avid fan of the, the twisted evil. sick, yes, zombie loving cosplay person that you are. I'm always, I'm actually quite jealous of the guys that, that that you know did get to play Resident Evil when they were like seven, eight, nine, ten. That must have been quite an impacting video game. To, I mean, looking back, I was playing Space Invaders when I was eight. We had video games, but they were made out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so could communicate with like, a, a plastic cup and a bit of string. Exactly right. That was. Don't video- forget the Atari. Well, we did, I did. I did have an Atari actually, um, and we had Pong. Uh, you know, when that came out, it, it was it was like the heavens opened up and yeah. rained down video goodness <laughs> upon the people. Kids today can understand the excitement that we felt. When we looked at Pong, we saw zombies. I mean, that little puck going back and forth, that was a zombie. And you had to hit it with the paddles was, you know, that was, uh, I'm kidding. I'm just sorry. It's kind of like, you take the zombie. No, you take it. You take it. You take the zombie. (laughs) Right. It was, it was hot zombie was the game as opposed to hot potato. (laughs) (laughs) Shiminji, did you want to come in there on, on anything? I just think that um, I think that the new generation. I think seeing the older survival horror games will really be good for the newer generation. You know, we've had to up up the ante for all of these other new survival horrors just to get them noticed and to be able to scare people. And I think to to see the older survival horror, the true survival horror, I think it'll be good for us. You know, I I agree. I agree, and I I uh, hope that you're correct. I hope that uh, that the players of today have not been too spoiled to be able to uh, spend time in an environment, you know, to, uh, without like like as uh, as George said, uh, to be able to walk around for ten minutes without having to, to fire a shot because you're working on solving a, a puzzle or you know using your brain in some way that's not uh, just simple knee jerk reactionary shooting at things. I think it's important for the younger players to be able to immerse themselves in this kind of an environment. I think it's I think it's an example of how video games can be exciting and entertainment and and in a way educational, not educational as in going to school educational, but um educational in problem solving skills. Oh and, yeah. 
You know, yes. I mean, it's, it's important stuff. It really is. Well, I've had to brush up on my math to do a couple of Resident Evil um, puzzles. Yeah. I think there has to be a certain amount of bravery uh, uh, on the part of the developers themselves. Yes. Uh, to, to... It goes right back to the money issue of mm. that you've got people in control of production uh, who don't have uh, the creative ability to see beyond the fundamental money-making issues of video game play. And all they can see is the, the fast-paced MTV style of cutting. You know, this is all, oh, that's what excitement is. Uh, you know, uh, they don't have the deep vision to understand storytelling and story structure and creating rich environments. They don't have that vision. And, and they are not willing to let the game creators and the storytellers who have that vision, they're not willing to let them have control yeah um of their of their products so so these game makers have to find that middle ground that makes the corporation happy and hopefully makes the players happy as well fortunately there are game companies out there like uh telltale games the people who are doing the game of thrones uh franchise and the walking dead franchise yes. you know these are uh, a bunch of ex ilm storytellers who've gotten together and created a, a corporation, a company with creative people in charge. That's why they're being so successful uh, with their storytelling efforts. And I really commend Telltale Games for yeah. the efforts that they're making in that, in that uh, arena. And I know some of those guys and I, I know who they are and where they came from uh, in terms of their, their creative abilities. And, uh, you know, that's where we need to take these games. Those are the people who need to be in charge of creating this brand of entertainment. Well, talking of bravery, I mean, that was very brave. The decisions that they made, the, the gameplay with The Walking Dead, I mean, it was almost a, a rather, you know, old-fashioned, yeah. you know, almost, almost point-and-click kind of procedure. So talking of finances, finances are clearly the reason why Capcom haven't kept the same actors. Clearly, why you weren't to voice, unfortunately, weren't to voice Chris in Resident Evil Five. It's why Alison Court won't be voicing Claire Redfield in Revelations Two, and also it may also be the reason why you didn't just voice Chris Redfield, but you were asked as well to voice Richard Aiken. Right? Yeah. Um, I come on that to that because one of our residents has asked Crimson Head Elder, who shares his name with with our site name. He's asked you. You voiced Chris and you voiced Richard. Were you made aware of this dual role by Capcom immediately, or was that something that you know kind of developed thereafter? And of the two roles, putting to one side the disparity in in script length, of the two roles, which one was your favourite to play? Well, uh, qu very quickly, Chris Redfield was the most fun to play. Um, Richard was kind of an aside. I mean, yeah. th th those lines were. Uh, you know, we, we did those very quickly and, and, uh, the only, I think the only direction that I got was, can you sound different? <laughs> you know, can you make, make them, just make them sound different from Chris. Oh, wow. <laughs> you. Chris Redfield, Alpha Team, we're here to rescue you. Richard, what the hell happened to you? Chris, this place... Get your team out of here. Demons everywhere. It's not just any ordinary snake. 
take my word for it. There was very little importance put on, uh, on, on Richard's performance. Richard! What happened? You're wounded! This whole place is a killing zone. There are monsters. What did this to you? A big snake. And it had to be poisonous. Poisonous? Richard, hold on. Bring me serum. I saw some, but didn't bring any. I'll go and get it, okay? You're gonna make it. Thanks. Here, Richard. I'm gonna give you a shot. Hang in there. Jill. Here's my radio. Take it. I'm... <sighs> Does it ever not hurt? Oh, poor Richard. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Had you been playing Richard in a television drama, you would have been given a biography about his character, which would have involved... Uh, the biography that that, that that he does does have right. that, that, that Richard he blames himself for the death of his sister. I know that Richard's sister passed away, and he blames himself for not protecting his younger sister. I know that that's an issue with him, and so that's why in the in the Resident Evil gameplay you 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 get that scenario where he jumps in front of Yawn, the giant snake, to save Jill and gets killed that way, or with yeah with with Chris's gameplay he um, he's killed by one of the sharks. So, so yeah, he he, he had a, he's got an interesting backstory. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't even know about his backstory. <laughs> I'm with you there. I did not know about that either. Yeah, you know, this is all news to me. You know, I, I always considered him as kind of being a, a red shirt from Star Trek. <laughs> you know, oh, yes. oh dear, yeah. You're <laughs> the guy who's just you know he's just destined to be killed in some horrible way. <laughs> Cuts going, McCoy, Spock, and uh, yeah, Fred, and, you're and you, yeah, Fred. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. okay. Were you afford any background information on Chris? No, I was not. I mean, other than you know, they showed me a couple of uh, uh, a couple of uh, videos of the previous gameplay uh, to kind of you know wrap my head around what was going on. But uh, we really didn't go into too much of a description of the character. Um, Not even personality? Well, a little bit of that. You know, they, the thing was, at the time, they were really redoing the original. So the, the, uh, the, the benchmark was, let's match the original. So they didn't really, you know, they, they didn't give me a lot of other information because they just said, here, look at this performance and give us that. Um, you know, so they, they, they didn't give me a lot of, uh, background on Chris other than the basic stuff because they, they weren't looking for me to interpret that information and bring something to that information. What they were looking for was a, a duplication of a previous performance. So, yeah, and I kind of, I sussed out who Chris was to me. Uh, during the course of the recordings, which took place over four days, I mean, there were, uh, that's it. I mean, it was it was uh, four 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 hour recording sessions, so a total of sixteen hours to do all of the voiceover, and then I think there was maybe one more day of pickup lines, um, including the 
Resident Evil uh, thing <laughs> here at the beginning. So you're the voice at the beginning. I am. That's me. Oh, that wow. marks off one of the questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, character investigation back and forth with the directors. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we do hear this a lot, don't we, from the other voice actors and actresses. And it's a shame because as fans... We, you know, we have emo we've invested emotionally in, in, in these characters and we like to think of them coming to that fully realized point from a lot of preparation and a, and a, a lot of love. And it, right. it is. But but all that preparation and love comes from the voice actor themselves and, and actually very little from the production team. Well, you know, in this circumstance, it was like that. Now, it, it, I'm, I've done other things where, you know, there's been uh, more preparation. But generally speaking, um, in my experience, especially in video games, um, you don't get, a, it's not like doing a live action film or doing a play where you spend a lot of time with the director uh, working on a character and getting their intentions right, their physicality right, all of the factors that go into, into a performance. Uh, in voice acting, in my experience, it's been a lot more about Okay, here's the character. Here's a couple of images of what they look like. Let's let's see what voice you would put to this, and then you kind of go through. Uh, you know, you, you start going through the script, and you you find your pace. At a certain point, you feel like you're doing the right thing. The director, if they're a good director, will give you um, thoughts and encouragement or in one direction or another, or they'll give you a direction or ask you to try something. The best directors that I've worked with have been uh, actually been actors uh, because they know how to talk to, to other actors to get them to say lines the way they want them to say them. Boy, I've, I've kind of gone off on a tangent. I forget what the original question was, but Oracle, Oracle, wake up. I oh. am here. He just answered a good few of them already. <laughs> Did you have any challenges when you were talking to the producers? Well, the, the big challenge there was the was the uh, language barrier, and fortunately, Carol Rougier was able to. You know, she's uh, Carol is also a, a, an actress, and so she was able to give me very good direction uh, based on her experiences. And so she was in the booth with the guys, and they would kind of have a conversation about how they wanted something done, and. Carol would then get on the the um, talk back and give me that information. So, you know, fortunately, I had uh, Carol as a resource. You ready for another question? Bring it on. Ellen Winnipeg Mao. He asked, "Did you work closely with the other actors?" No, never met any of them, and that's very common. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, uh, I've done a lot of voiceover work over the past uh, fifteen years, twenty years, and it's. I've never actually worked with any other, well, I shouldn't say never. Occasionally there's been one or two other people in the booth, but most of the projects that I've worked on, especially the feature animation stuff, you know, I've got in the Emperor's New Groove from Disney, I've got eight different voices in that. And I never worked with it. I never saw any of the other actors. They're all just singly recorded lines and then they're all cut together. And that's pretty common in voiceover. Now, in, if you're working on uh, an animated series, like a, a TV show, like uh, Family Guy or something like that, they do tend to work in, in groups 
they'll have two or three people in the booth at the time. And the thing that's nice about that is that you get a very natural uh, conversational rhythm between the actors because you're actually playing off of each other. Um, but a lot of animation is done uh, single voices reading individual lines, and then all of that stuff is cut together. And that can lead to stilted performances. You know, sometimes when you hear a game and you, you, you feel that the dialogue is not really realistic, that's why. It's because the actors came in the booth, they had a, a piece of paper, a table uh, in front of them with all of their lines written out, and they just went line to line and read each individual line. The thing that makes that um, necessary is that when it comes time to edit, you don't want people talking over each other because you can't separate their lines. You can't go in and edit the, the vocals apart, you know, unless you have people in separate isolation booths where you're recording them, uh, each uh, individual microphone isolated from each other. So I never worked with any of the other actors. That's just sad. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You know, if you, if you um, listen to the natural rhythms of, of two people having a conversation, uh, there's very much an interplay between the two people and, and the way that they respond to what the other person has said. When you don't have that uh, response to, to play off of, you have to imagine something. So, you know, you might be imagining something completely different from what the other person was imagining when they said their lines. Even in just in terms of the tone of voice of the line that you're following. Yeah, right, exactly. Now, sometimes w w what happens, um, and I've, this is, uh, I've worked this way, in feature animation style, uh, occasionally the director will come in the booth and they'll read against you. But you have to be very careful not to step on each other's lines. A lot of the time when you're speaking in real life, uh, you talk over each other because you, your, your, brain is, your brain is running ahead of the conversation. So you, you drop in and you finish each other's lines and you'll, you'll step on a line or you'll have a thought that comes in the middle of what someone else is saying. So you cut them off and you, you know, there's that natural conversational rhythm. But when you record each line individually, you don't have that. Um, so you don't get that naturalism. That's a shame. You know, it's, I, I think that you certainly could work the other way. Would have been nice if you and Jill actually got a chance to talk to each other in a booth, just to have a normal conversation. That way you can actually so, express what to say in the lines. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that would have been ideal. Uh, I remember one sequence that was particularly fun, and that is when uh, Chris is fighting the giant uh, tentacle plant and being thrown around the room. Oh, Plant, plant 42. Yes. 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 Yeah. Thing is, they already had the animation done to that. Ah. I I couldn't just stand in the booth and make whatever sounds I wanted to make. Uh, I had to actually watch the video of the sequence and time my screaming. Chris! Rebecca! It's no use! The roots are in the basement! You can... No! Take that file! It'll tell you how to make the potion to kill this thing! Use it on its roots! Hurry! Being thrown around and hitting the ground, and you know, which is difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and, and get very cathartic at the same time, I might add. If you ever have a chance to, to pretend that you're being thrown around a room by a giant plant, I, I highly recommend it. They should have uh -huh. just tossed you to the floor so you could actually do the grunt motion. 
Well, I, I believe me, you spend when you do these recordings, um, in, especially for for uh, action video games, they require a lot of ancillary sounds like uh, being punched or uh, falling or hitting the ground, and they want you to do uh, a a huge gradation of of um, let's say punch sounds. So you'll you're, you're getting hit by someone, and you so a light hit would be. <clears throat> And then you go a little harder, <clears throat> and then you get really smacked with something. Oh! You know, and but they spend <laughs> at least an hour doing all of these sounds. I did uh, um, Gimli for the Lord of the Rings games. Uh, you know, oh. which the, the little Scottish dwarf. Yeah. <clears throat> Nobody tosses a dwarf. And oh, fantastic! It was, it was, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> An entire day of of talking like this, you know, and everything. Uh, it was real fun. That was it was great fun, but I was hoarse for three days after. For some uh, reason, I just imagine you going home after being killed by Plant Forty Two, and somebody asks, "What happened to your voice?" I got killed by a plant. <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining a, like a face-off between Plant Forty Two and Gimli. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so good. Oh, get your bloody stands off! <laughs> Bring it on! I got kicked in the throat by a zombie! <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I don't know how this podcast is going to be received in Scotland now. <laughs> 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 You're okay. Yeah. I think we got to the root of that problem. I owe you, kid. Besides voicing Chris, did you also do his body motion? No. No, that was all done before I, I had the part. Uh, you know, their character design was already done. A lot of their modeling was already done. So basically, I was revoicing a lot of um, animation that was already in the can. When you do a part from the beginning, especially if you're a celebrity, which I'm definitely not, you know, in, in that circumstance, they'll, they might have an actor come in for a body scan. But also in video games, I mean, there are some very good modelers out there. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a modeler myself. There are people who can very accurately match uh, someone's look. And when you're talking about a game resolution character, you can get the look of, of a celebrity very good without having to uh, do a body scan of them. How would you describe Chris's relationship with Wesker before and after he is revealed to be the traitor? Well, you know, um, uh, Chris Redfield and uh, Albert Wesker have a, a very long history together. They went to uh, to junior high together, and um, at, at the time, uh, you know, they were both in marching band. And uh... <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute, no." <laughs> <laughs> now, be careful what you say. His, his avatar name gives it away. But, Albert yeah. West 187. You're talking about his hero here, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he was. He played the piccolo in the marching band. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> this is starting Actually, to sound like that uh, song Traveling Soldier by Dixie Chicks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Albert Wesker was actually a girl before the sex change, and um, he. Oh, okay. <laughs> sexual tension between Chris and Wesker. That's that explains it. Well, a lot of people thought that Alex Wesker was a female before uh, the the uh, the notes confirmed they were a male. So maybe just uh, two no, chicks trying to have some crazy fun. Well, you know, actually, I I really don't have any uh, frame of reference for their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I think M. Greg's referring more just to the gameplay, you know, Wesker being revealed right at the end that, that, that he's, you know, that he's betrayed stars. Wesker. So you've come. Chris, you make me proud. But of course, you are one of my men. Thanks. Since when, Wesker? I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Since when have they been slipping you a paycheck? I think you're a bit confused. I've always been with Umbrella. The Tyrant virus leaked, polluting this whole place, and unfortunately, I had to give up my lovely members of STARS. You killed them with your own dirty hands! You son of a bitch! Don't move! You... I don't think you want to die just yet. I have something that's of some interest to you. The ultimate life form, Tyrant. <laughs> Wesker, you've become senile. Chris, you'll never understand. It's magnificent. Come on, you test tube freak. One thing I want to say is, can you please say Wesker? Wesker. Thank you. <laughs> because Albert Wesker 187 has some questions for you. All right. Bring it on, Wesker. Mr. White, it's a real honor to meet you. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, and uh, the first question comes from Wonderman. He asks, perhaps inspired by communication barriers with the Japanese developers, were there any funny bloopers or outtakes you can remember from the sessions? Uh, let's see. Nothing particularly funny um, that I can remember. Well, I think they slightly improved the actual dialogue because the the, the previous dialogue in the in in uh, the 1996 game was very B movie esque. Yes. The one um, started on freaking Wesker and Kovaranek when he says, "Oh, Chris, come grab my little fishy." That that no no. <laughs> oh, little fishy, come see my hook. Yeah, that one. Oh my god, that was horrible. No, <laughs> don't ask why I have that line memorized. I was very impressed, Minji. That you you pulled that right out there. I frequent Tumblr, okay. <laughs> I think I uh, heard that line in a porn film once. Oh, back when Wesker's Wesker's uh like bad lines like that used to be really pickup lines. Like all of his stress <laughs> were pickup lines back then. That's Oh yeah, I'm gonna go up to a girl. Come and come see my little. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> well, now that we got that question out of the way, let me go to another one. Yours truly, the Oracle Dragon here. She's here with us. Uh, the question goes: What was the highlight of the complete recording session experience? The highlight, yes, was the end of the day when they said, "Okay, that's a wrap. Here's your check." <laughs> <laughs> the, the highlight really is. You know, at the end of the day, feeling like you've 
you've done something right, like you nailed a character or you nailed some lines, and you feel really good about it. You know, and of course, the, the big payoff is seeing it in context. I mean, that's, uh, I can't tell you how much fun it is to go through the recording process, and then months later, you come back and you get to see your voice matched up with a, you know animated 3D character. That is just so fun. If you have a chance to do it, please take advantage of it. It's just the best. But I've talked to other voice actors, to John Young Bosch, to Richard Waugh, and they all tell me that if you can do something else in your career, do it because it's a very hard industry to get into. It is very hard. And now, today, with um, digital recording techniques, anybody can have a broadcast quality uh, recording studio at home. And so that barrier that used to be there, that you couldn't, it used to be that you couldn't just step into your bedroom closet and record really good quality sound. You had to go to a recording studio and it was expensive and that kept a lot of the amateur factors out of the competition for professional jobs. Nowadays, you have so many people, uh, uh, there's so much more competition for these parts because basically anyone can put together a demo reel that is of high quality. Um, and a lot of people are out there auditioning for these parts who shouldn't be. You know, it's voiceover seems like it's a, an easy thing to do. Like, like anyone off the street can just drop in and do a good voiceover. It's not true. I think it takes great, greater acting chops to bring to life a character just using your voice than it does when you have the extra added aspects of your performance, of your physicality, your facial, um, uh, your emotions on your face, um, specifically your eyes. I mean, that translates, those parts of your body translate so much communication information. And when you have to do all of that with just your voice, it's a whole different uh, kettle of fish in terms of acting ability. And a lot of actors, even actors that you love on screen, are not good voiceover actors. There are certain aspects, certain things that you have to learn how to do when you're doing voiceover that in, that enhance your believability as a character. You know, it is a very difficult industry to, to be successful in because of the fact that there's so much uh, competition. And you also really have to market yourself. You have to, you have to have a website. You have to have your demo reel up on all the casting websites you have to you know cold send your demo reel out to all these agencies it takes a lot of work people don't understand how much work goes into being an actor yeah richard what describes it as soul sucking that's what he describes yeah, it as it, it absolutely can be and you know i've been in, i've been a professional actor for 30 35 years and at one point in my career i was destroyed i from being rejected uh, I couldn't handle the rejection anymore. You know, I, I got to a point where I was really depressed about my career. All I wanted to be was an actor, and I was just getting shut down everywhere I went. Now, you might say, well, maybe if you were a good actor, it would, but it's not really about, I mean, that's, it's kind of funny to say that, but I know lots of really great actors who have had the same amount of rejection. You know, it's just part of the game. It's not really that you're a bad actor. You're just not right for the part. Until you can wrap your brain around that as a performer, that it's not personal, you just weren't right for it, um, you, those um, rejections can get to you over time. And that's the soul-sucking part of it. 
is you walk away from auditions wondering what you did wrong. And the fact is you didn't do anything wrong. You just weren't what they were looking for. It's nothing personal. It's just trying to match up a voice with a character. Um, one of the things about voiceover is that there are styles of voiceover that come and go. You, you, you know, your, your voice might be very popular for three years. You might get a bunch of work. Every time you audition, you get called to, to callbacks and to producers and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly, for no reason that you can discern, you just stop getting callbacks and you stop getting auditions because vocal types come and go in waves. You're in style, you're out of style. You're in style, you're out of style. So, you know, you have to understand that as well. It, it, you might not be doing anything wrong with your auditions. It might just, just not be the time for your style of voice acting to be popular. Now, another question that I have comes from Nemesis, and he says, can you give any insight into the events that lead to no longer playing the role? I have no idea. Um, you know, that's uh, those were decisions that were made by the production company, um, you know, based on feedback that they got about characters or, you know, maybe it, it, there are so many factors involved with why they chose to go with one actor over another. It's impossible for me to say. Uh, Capcom now, as a rule, just simply don't go with any agency actors, and, and that's presumably just for financial reasons. Yeah, um, that's a, that's the same with a lot of game companies because they don't, uh, you know, all these game companies. It's non-union work mostly, okay. uh, and it's a buyout deal every time. So a lot of name actors won't do voiceover um, because it's just not financially. You know, there's there's no big payoff for it. Um, you know, the the Resident Evil that I worked on generated, when it sold, it generated millions of dollars of income for the company. But, um, you know, in terms of what I got paid, um, very little, very little. I basically got four days of, of you know, scale uh, pay with no residuals. I mean, that's a buyout. So, of, you know, I, I might have made a couple of grand off that game. Um, for my work and the game made how many millions, you know, and that's, and it's going to do it again. Now when it really, when they release this uh, HD upgrade, it's probably going to make, you know, a, a several hundred thousand, if not a couple million bucks in sales. And uh, there are no residuals for any of the actors. None of us will see a penny from the re-release of this game. Yeah. They, they, you know, they haven't even reached out to us. We did, we did, I haven't gotten a, an email or a phone call or a letter or anything saying, Hey, we're redoing this and we're using your voice again. I, I found out from someone at work that they were doing a, a, a remake. <laughs> That's the game industry. It's not, it's not a kind, friendly, glamorous uh, thing. It's, it's a for-profit business where, you know, it's uh, I forget who said it one time, but somebody famous once said, if we could just make these movies without actors, you know, it'd be great. <laughs> And it's unfortunate from the point of view of, of the character development. And one of the reasons why Resident Evil stood out to me, it was one of the first times I became aware of a game franchise that continued a narrative across more than one video game with a character that developed through those video games. Mm -hmm. And it has been heartbreaking for many fans to, when they found out that Claire Redfield wasn't going to be voiced by Alison Court anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, similarly with yourself, I missed an opportunity to have that you know have that voice and that tone that we that we enjoyed with chris in in the mansion and see and hear that develop mm 
mm-hmm. you know, when he's putting that when he's putting that different context that he is in Resident Evil Five. Certainly, right. It's good that you brought that up because uh, one of the questions that's gonna I'm gonna ask it, it has to do with that as well. It, it comes from U.S.'s command. How do you feel about being replaced? Well, it would be nice to be able to do all of the all of the games for, for the reasons that uh, George just uh, enumerated. Um, you, you'd like to be able to carry something forward and see it develop, and you know, so it's a little disappointing. You know, not horribly heartbroken over it. I understand how the industry works, so doesn't entirely surprise me. The um, from a psychological aspect, you have to keep telling yourself it's 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 not you, it's them. Um, <laughs> I don't feel bad about the work that I did uh, for um, the remake. Um, I feel quite good about it, but uh, it wasn't what they were looking for for the subsequent games, and uh, they decided to uh, to move on. So so there you go. And the nope. second part of the question asks. What do you think of Chris's voice now in comparison to your more quietly considered low-key tone? Well, as we said before, I think it's, you know, they're trending more toward that World Wrestling Federation style hero voice um, as opposed to a, a more naturalistic thing. And, and if that's what they want, then they have every right to do it. I have... Uh, you know, played some of the other games and with uh, other guys voicing Chris. And it's, um, I don't think of them as being better. I just think of them as being a different style. So, you know, I, I, I fully give absolute props to the other actors who are doing the characters. They're doing a great job and they're doing what they're asked to do. So, And the final question, which comes from M. Greg, has, do you believe that Chris and the wider mansion incident cast have been portrayed well in games since remake no no I, I think i think resident evil 4 was the is the only game that that uh, has remained true to the the, the uh, emotion oh actually no zero was pretty good too i really enjoyed resident evil zero yeah five i i didn't like five at all six um they just feel weird to me they don't feel like resident evil they were they were trying to skew it towards uh, something that they thought would be profitable mm. and uh, they lost the soul of the game in the process. Absolutely. Yeah, because we fans want a good story. Take your time to go through it and find out what happened. Not just go here, go there, shoot, 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 follow this particular path, do a little tiny puzzle that doesn't even take time to think. Right. Uh, go back to the basics and stay with that because that's how we love it. Take your time, get scared. Yeah. I don't think that 6 was as bad as people say it was. I think that they had too much. There was way too many campaigns, for one. I think there was way too many reaction commands, and I wish that they would have focused more on Jake and Sherry's campaign itself and not just made... Their campaign was literally only references to their fathers. That's literally all it was, was references to William and Wesker. And I think if they would have focused more on their campaign and extending that second-generation or as I, as I like to call it, second-generation badass, then I think uh-huh. it would have been a little bit better. I mean, I like the idea that there was a connection with previous characters, but I agree with Shiminji that, they, that it was almost just a cliché of their parents, weren't they? Yes, pretty much, and there was even several scenes that were direct references to their fathers, such as the scenes where they were talking in front of the uh, the computers. That was a direct reference to their fathers in Resident Evil Zero. and. Oh, yes. Then when they were uh, in the cabin and like looking at each other and talking about their parents, that was a reference to when they were uh, 
William and Wesker were talking in front of the, the elevator. And there was just, they didn't get their own story. They got, like, re revamped versions of their uh, their father's <laughs> romance, romance, whatever you want to call it. Vinci's <laughs> right. right, because it, it, it's a lot to do with the, the narrative that's going on behind the gameplay as well. That whether that can like you know pull you in and and, and make you connect with with the actual gameplay itself. Yeah. Well, those are the questions for me. Now I'm I'm sending it over to the very beautiful and intelligent Shiminji. Okay. See, everyone always introduces me as the beautiful and intelligent. That's the funny thing is that these people don't know me. If they knew me, they would not be introducing me as the beautiful intelligent. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's see. The first question I have here is by Zarls. And it's, if you could choose just one character in the whole series to voice, besides Chris, who would you choose and why? I would have to say Wesker. Oh my goodness. Because bad guys are always the most fun to play. Well, this is very true. Wesker's my favorite, so. Yeah, I think it would definitely be him. I don't know that I could, I don't know that I'm right for it, because I really don't have that kind of badass voice, you know? I really, I really... I'm, I'm much better at playing nerds, um, but uh, I, I'd love to give him a try. Are you able to pull up a Russian accent? Russian accent. I can try to do a Russian accent, but, uh, you know, it's uh, probably pretty generic, and anybody who's actually a Russian would say, <laughs> you sound like bullshit. You'd probably be a good Nikolai. <laughs> Nikolai would work. Well, call Capcom and tell them that I'm available. <laughs> it just dawned on me, but I don't think anybody ever asked it, but it was about Chris and Jill in the game. It's a question, of course, it just came to mind. But did you think they had a relationship together? Yes, do you? Yes, oh. they did. I don't care if they Jill had a boyfriend. They had a relationship and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, come uh-huh. on, let Mr. White say what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's something there. I, I think, um, I think, uh, you know, I think that Jill looks up to Chris and I think that he appreciates that. Uh, yeah. You know, there, maybe there's a little something I, I could see them getting together down the road. Maybe this, maybe this uh, experience uh, bonds them in a way that, uh, you know, makes them realize that they belong together or something like that. But Hey, Romance always finds a way, right? Love always finds right. a way. All right. Let's see. You ready for another one? Certainly. All right. This is another question by M. Greg. Have you ever spoken lines from your scenes in real life? If not, <laughs> would you? And would you? In what under what circumstance? And would you go full costume? Like, would you cosplay for this? <laughs> you know, if 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 somebody. If if somebody else did all the work, I would be gladly I would be glad <laughs> to to cosplay this character. You know, the problem is I don't look like that. I, I'm I'm not a heroic looking guy. You know, I'm I'm 53. My I'm slightly balding. I'm a little overweight. You know, it's I I, I would be like Chris Redfield at 55 after he's retired. Oh. Like drank way too much uh, dark beer and, you know, kind of uh, hasn't been working out. And <laughs> the real life Chris Redfield. <laughs> That's what really Chris happened Redfield. after six. Chris yeah. Redfield after the fall. 
<laughs> oh come on! Everyone can cosplay. I don't. I do not look like William Birkin, and I cosplay him. So <laughs> it's just everyone. It's for funsies, and I think you should totally do it. Well, maybe at the next Comic Con, I'll uh, I'll show up as Chris Redfield. Take also, pictures. Yes, we want pictures. <laughs> okay. And video okay. proof of you saying Wesker. Yes, yes. yes. Picture didn't happen. Wesker. All right. So this is another question by Alan Winpei Mao. Did you have do you have any plans to do more work with Capcom or Resident Evil in the future? Uh, yes, I have plans. Unfortunately, Capcom is not aware of my plans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to show up at a recording session someday and, and uh, try and crash the thing. But no, I don't. I would love to, but uh, that's that's out of my control. I can I can talk to my agent. You need oh. to come back, that's for sure. I know. We need to back Chris. All right, let's see here. The next question, by another one by Alan Winpei Mao, is what do you think of the Resident Evil movies by Paul Anderson? Oh, God. Oh, let's, uh, let's, let's not go there. Yeah. We, we've kept this a family show, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't yeah. want us talking about that. Yeah, you yeah, know... We're, we're, we're uh, just, you know, kids might be listening. Just be careful. You know, any explicit language. They they own a franchise that um, they they it. Where do I go? It's it's a it's a it's a great idea for them to make the movies, uh, but they don't really have anything to do with the game. You know, it's two separate worlds. They really are. They're, the 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 movies I, I think of them as a completely separate thing from any of the any of the games, especially the good games. They don't uh, have the yeah. same feel. They, they don't have the same feel. They don't have the same characters. Uh, you know, it's two different things. Uh, I think the funny thing is that we're asking uh, we're asking him this question when I think the worst actor in that entire series was the one who played Chris. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you cast uh, someone who's good-looking as opposed to, uh, <laughs> to someone like me. <laughs> what sits well with me is the fact that when you talk to the fans and you mention, you know, w without even saying voice actor, if you just say the actor for Chris Redfield, people are going to think of Roger Craig Smith. They are going to think of Joe White. They're, they're not, you know, these are throwaway names, the names that come up in the movies. And again, no, no, no disrespect to the actual... The, the specific actors involved. I'm just in, in terms of the characters that they're given and how you know the integrity or how those characters are treated by the directors involved. Exactly. Um, it all comes so, down to the directors, really. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the actors are there. They're doing a job. They're doing what they're told to do, uh, and they're bringing their a game. You know, it's it, whether yeah. or not you like what they did, uh, they did the best they could, and some of the performances are are fine. Uh, great performances, and uh, you know, I I don't think Mila Jovovich uh, is a bad actress. I think she's done the best that she could with what they yeah, yeah with what she was given. Absolutely, is yeah. Right. I mean, our main problem with it is the was well, it's the narrative, isn't it? it, it, it it's yeah. the fact. Yeah. Yes. It, totally different world. Right. All right. Well, are we ready for our uh, final question here? It would seem. Absolutely. All right. From the Crimson Head Elder. Are you aware that you've played a lead role in what I and what many people consider to be not only the greatest Resident Evil game, but also the greatest video games ever made? And also, thank you for being such a key part in it and for doing such a fantastic job. 
Well, I, you know, at the time I didn't realize it. Um, I am extremely gratified and honored to, to, to think that people uh, enjoyed the, you know, the effort that I put out to do the part and uh, that it still resonates with people. Um, extremely gratified. And, and I, I, to tell you the truth, when, uh, when George called me out of the blue and said, you know, we'd love to talk to you about Resident Evil, it was such a shock to me that people were still talking about it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's fantastic. How often in life do you get to do something that, that people call you up and want to talk to you about? Uh, it's, it's rare. And I could gush for the next 15 minutes about how I feel about it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it's, it's really great. Well, it's lo lo lovely to hear you talk about it in, in those terms, Joe. Thank you. Another thing I want to bring up, since uh, since Shimiji brought up that question, before Andrew signed off, he told me, tell Joe White that he is a legend to me. Well, I'm I'm extremely gratified and honored anybody who feels that. And he's a man of he's a man of high taste. He's a Tottenham Hotspur fan, Joe. Excellent. So, so yeah, he, yes. he knows what he's he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's, it, it's um, I, I have tingles in, in, right now. I just uh, <clears throat> very, very gratified to, to talk to you folks. Uh, it's been great. Oh, fantastic. I feel like I've talk... made new friends. Well, I've I'm, been I'm, I'm hearing you talk like that, Joe. I think it's fantastic that, that us as, as the older fans that, that enjoyed your performance in the past, but also new fans that now can, can come to your performance. We're not just dusting off an old game that we are getting this HD remaster. And it is bad form that you weren't even contacted out of courtesy, just to even let you know that you're out there again. But, you know, you are out there again with this HD remaster that's all that's going out all over the world on these brand new generation consoles. That's great. Um, so, so, you know, a whole new audience will be able to enjoy your, your performance. Wonderful, wonderful. That, that means a lot to me. And, you know, the, the fact that I'm, I'm not going to see any profit from it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, uh, you know, very, like I said, it's how often in life do you get to be a part of something that turns out to be, uh, to have an effect on so many people and in a positive way. Uh, that's, that's huge. And uh, as I've said so many times, I'm just extremely gratified. members left now. Captain Wesker, Jill, and myself. We don't know where Barry is. The show must go on. It's not like we're out of this yet. And now, exclusively for Crimson Head Elder, Joe White reads in character as Chris Redfield from the Resident Evil 2 X-File, Chris's Report. This file, which can only be obtained in the Nintendo 64 ports of Resident Evil 2, can now, for the first time, be heard, read in character by the official Chris Redfield voice actor. 
Chief. Below is my account of what led up to the explosion of the mansion. On July 23rd, Star's Bravo team, led by Captain Marini, went to investigate the bizarre homicides that occurred in the Arkley Mountains. After contact with Team's chopper was lost, Star's Alpha Team, led by Captain Wesker, went in. We found the remains of Bravo Team's helicopter on the ground. After landing, we were immediately attacked by bloodthirsty dogs. We later discovered that these dogs were actually zombie dogs, as they did not even feel our gunfire. After Joseph Frost was killed, we were forced to retreat to a nearby mansion. After further investigating the mansion, we learned that it was actually a secret laboratory for Umbrella Incorporated. All of the researchers were turned into zombies by some type of unknown virus. We also discovered that Umbrella was using that lab as a testing area for new bio-organic weapons. We found the dead bodies of some of the Bravo team members, including Enrico Marini, Kenneth Sullivan, Forrest Speyer, and Richard Aiken. We believe that those bio-organic weapons caused their deaths. After that, we discovered that Captain Wesker was actually working with Umbrella, and that both Alpha and Bravo teams were being used as live test subjects for the new bio-organic weapons. Wesker had betrayed us. We barely managed to survive that nightmare. However, since the mansion exploded, there is no evidence to support our claims of Umbrella's secret lab or the bio-organic weapons. The zombie phenomenon that has been occurring in the city is extremely similar to the zombies we saw at the mansion. We suspect that Umbrella is somehow linked to all of this. In order to solve this mystery and put an end to the zombies that are roaming the city, I propose we launch a formal investigation into Umbrella. Thank you for your attention to this extremely important matter. Chris Redfield, Stars Alpha Team. Continuing our Resident Evil Remaster HD review and discussion, we are now joined by George Trevor, the Oracle Dragon, Crimson Head Elder, Albert Wesker 187, and the Selfish Gene. Shinji Mikami has stated that 70% of the game is different to the original. Several new areas that were added to the 1996 environment, and those that remained had changed in tone. They hadn't just been updated in, in terms of detail. They look a lot more decrepit, a lot more run down than their 1996 counterparts, similar really to the management training center from Resident Evil Zero, which had, had cause to be like that, because obviously it, it was abandoned. But for a working laboratory and a mansion that had only recently been a buzz of umbrella research, it, it was pretty run down. It looked completely different in the remake than in the original, but man, it, it looked like a damn abandoned mental hospital that experienced many brutal killings in it. So it was just incredible. Mm. So when you mentioned the mental hospital, if that had kind of similarities with Silent Hill. I guess, I, guess, I think it looks more creepier in Silent Hill, but 
Shin Shin Mikami did a good job getting that idea of like I don't know if you got the idea from Silent Hill, but mm. it looks really, really, really creepy and run down like completely. If the laboratory and the mansion had looked too clean and too clinical, that creepiness, that that haunting historic look back to what was going on in '67 with George Trevor, that sort of feel would be lost. I think the dead space though, you you do have a point like that. That's set in the future, and that's kind of you know it looks nice, but that that can still be creepy. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and similar Dead Aim I've mentioned before. Yeah, De- De- Dead Aim has relatively bland in corridors, which, which I think are dripping with with atmosphere. Yeah, there are, it's certainly a lot more decrepit and run down, which maybe isn't contextually right, but certainly allows the game to be steeped in atmosphere. Other new areas that were added that had been cut from the original, you've got the graveyard and the forest path. Lisa's there. The path to Lisa's cabin. Those for me were some of my favourite areas. Oh man, that, that one shot is probably my favourite, one of my favourites in, in Remake, when you're walking back towards the mansion and you look up and you see the light on. Yeah. That is a real good shot. Oh, yes, yeah. it was. Yes, it is. I just stop sometimes and just, just look at it, just take it in. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, I, and I know it's not a ghost story. The mansion clearly has parallels with Hammer House of Horror. It, it does, you know, just throw up illusions of the, the, those past horror films where, you know, you'll look back and there'll be that, that mysterious shadow in the window. Yeah, psycho. Yeah, yeah, and who is that? Exactly like psycho, isn't it? Yeah. The mansion in itself is, is a character in the game because... Oh, absolutely. If you, if you look back, like now they still keep bringing it up. In Lost in Nightmares, there's a replica of the Spencer estate. It's, mm. In Code Veronica, it's the Spencer estate. It's, it's a biggest character as anything. It's probably the zombies. The Spencer oh, estate is yeah. iconic. That's why they keep coming back to the remake and now they keep coming back to the HD port. It's because they know that they, they struck gold with the first game. Yeah. And just still trying to milk it, like, I, I don't mind because I'll, I'll lap it up because I love it. Well, it wasn't anything to do with an improvement in gameplay and just everything to do with that, that iconic environment and just being able to enjoy it in even more, realised in greater detail. I heard one of the residents in Crimson Head complaining about the Neptune tank looking too grey. Is that true or have you gone to that party yet or not? I've heard that people, you know, criticise it for being like a, a quick, cheap upscale. I think that's harsh. My initial thoughts were that the the aqua ring sections looked looked quite appalling and quite and quite clearly looked the worst of, of all the areas that had been upscaled. And you could certainly attribute that statement you just made, Gene, to that area. When I ran it next to, I put another television next to the one that was running the HD remaster. I ran the Wii Archives version next to it. I was surprised just how bad the aqua ring looked back in the day and it is an improvement my favorite camera angle is like just before you uh you enter the aqua ring so as you wade start to wade into the water and there's the gate there and you're in silhouette because the light's shooting through i just remember that just that that screenshot that um that camera angle just i I just don't really like it i don't because like it feels like you're going into something you know what i mean it's so forgettable in the original game and the way they fleshed it out i think is really good the HD remaster aquaring area is an improvement on, on the past. But it does have that feel to it that some of the areas do where they fall down. It does have that feel of, of an image, of an older image that's been sharp, uh, over sharpened in Photoshop too much. Is the moving camera distracting? Well, I don't know what I've missed with this because I presume that that moving camera was going to be showcased particularly in the 
in the hallway, in the main front hallway, and that it would pan along with you, because that seems to be what it's showing at the, at the Japanese website. But I couldn't notice that, and the only areas where I noticed a distinct use of the camera moving was ridiculous. It was literally as you walk into a room, the ca- the camera will just shoot upwards. It doesn't add anything to the gameplay at all. Those shots where, as you come through, you're right up with the player. Um, the close-ups, you know, yeah. Yeah, they're the real close-ups. On those, the camera will just sort of move, almost like a jolt. It sort of jolts upwards, but there just seems to be no purpose for it. I can't see what for what reason, other than just, look, we can make the camera move up and down in this section. But as soon as you move out of that shot, out of that frame, it, the, the, the effect's gone. The Aquaring is, I would say, is the um, shabbiest of of all the of, of, of all the game. Should it have been one of the areas that they completely did from scratch with Polygon, because that's what they did for the the Act Infected Crimson Head Elder. That tomb was completely redone. Really. And the old version was an old FM video, and the player, you know, as a backdrop, and the player moved around that that old video, particularly with regard to shadow and lighting. Things had improved so much that they redid that whole area in Polygon. But the reason they didn't do that throughout the whole game, and this, and I'm pleased they didn't, because it, this is something I noticed, you know, with, with Resident Evil 4, when they went from the pre-rendered backdrops. You, yes, you get the 3D. You got the 3D with Resident Evil 4, but you lo- you lose a lot of detail. And and I and so I'm happy they didn't redo the whole game from scratch, because I think they would have lost... They might have gained some clarity, but I think they would have lost atmosphere. Uh, but that tomb, that tomb area, I, again, for that reason, I was I was keen to get to that part. And I, th- I thought it was vastly improved. I've heard that the soundtrack is sped up in parts. That's a real shame. I heard that. It was one of my biggest fears. I heard that one of the, the tracks where it does that is is in the Aquaring with Neptune. But I didn't notice it, Gene, because again, I put on the archives version and I couldn't notice any conceivable difference. Yeah, I, I heard it was the guardhouse. Guardhouse music's been changed. Entirely. It's very different. It's a different style. And I love the guardhouse music. And initially I was like, fuck. Why did, of all the, if they're going to play about an experiment and get, try one of the other tracks. But it's interesting. It's like a remix. It's not bad. And so I actually think it's probably very good. Bearing in mind that's one of my favourites. And I would have put high on the list of, please don't fuck with this. But they did. <laughs> and, and I think they've, I actually, I'm surprised to hear myself say this. They've done, I take exactly what it sounds like. There's there's a, a synth. You'll hear there's a there's a, a deep synth sound in that in that new track, which sounds exactly. I only know this because we did a, a shining theme for the previous podcast. It sounds very very similar to the opening track of the Shining, which is just kind of that synth. If you listen to it and then check out the opening track of the Shining, I definitely heard that in it. One of the most significant improvements with the HD remaster are those items. And the details that are now realised. I mean, the the Book of Curses has never looked so beautiful. I, I really loved that, and the, and the extra additional detail that you pick up in some of these items. It's a small thing, and obviously it's not part of the actual gameplay in the environments. But just yeah, the the, the inventory looks spectacular with all the, the the arrowhead that you use to gain access to the Crimson Head Elder Tomb. I love that little description, it's sometimes known as poor man's emerald. If you examine that close up, it's translucent and it looks lovely. There's even this little, little scratch glass engraving on it. I gotta I got be honest, as much as I, I'm a shipper for a remake, and I think every RE fan should have this this version of it, 
Um, I was bare my hopes up a bit too much, but I was looking for more details to the kind of smack me in the face, like maybe I need to smack myself in the face, but I, I really couldn't see that much uh, detail in, in some objects. Like I was a bit disappointed in some things, but there was a few that did stand out that I got to read for the first time. Um, I think it might have been the thing above the fireplace, the emblem, you can read something like that, but there was a few details. Yes, you're right. The fireplace emblem, again, as with a lot of the items, looks look spectacular compared to the older version, and you can see clearly all the detail. But I would, I would agree with you, one hundred. You don't need to be smacking your face in the head comes in. I, I, <laughs> I agree with you completely. I don't like, I don't like slag and remake off. So no, I no, 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 nor do I. But I'm pleased, <laughs> I'm pleased you've said that because I agree with you completely. There are certain areas they don't look any worse. The aqua ring is probably the most disappointing but when you hook up as i did a television with the we archives version next to it there still is an improvement i look shocking on the gamecube and the Wii. that area it looks so bad i thought that yeah i didn't realize until i went back for that specific purpose because i did feel a bit let down by the hd version yeah, that area, like with the the boxes, how do you find the magnum room? So I've always wanted to know, like, what's what's the, what's all these boxes and stuff? Like, can I get any kind of inkling? Like, but you can't see absolutely nothing. Like, all you can see is pixels. Like, yes, it's just I, like a, a mess of pixels. Like, <laughs> well, that, this was my point about it looking like an over sharpened image, or or the contrast being too high. You're right; it's too pixelated in those areas. Yeah, and the, and there's slight glimpses of that in the residence. I don't think you get that anywhere in the mansion, slightly in the residence, very much so prominent across the aqua ring, which makes me think it's a shame that they didn't choose that area uh, as one of the ones that they completely redid in Polygon, as they did with the Crimson Head Elder Tomb. If you, if you think about it, though, isn't there water dripping in that area? I'm sure there's water dripping in that, so maybe that has something to do with it, because uh, the environment's in the other area. They don't really move much, they, uh, I mean, you get candle flames and such, but well, maybe no, that they... had something to do with it. Conversely, that's that's why one of the reasons they did redo. They they mentioned on the developers walkthrough one of the reasons they did redo the Crimson Head Elder Tomb area. You did have that great effect with the candles and the shadows, and because mm. lighting and environmental those environmental aspects of water and rain and fire and, and wind have improved so much over the years, they really wanted to showcase that. So they could have actually done that in the aqua ring. Yeah, just may have been time production finances can i mention um the opening cutscene as well um where you see the dog ripping joseph's throat oh did, yeah did anybody else notice that was going man that was brutal i'd never seen it like that before it actually rips his head off like i, I was happy with that because uh, on the gamecube you, you can't see what's going on you just hear chewing and you see the dog's head but yeah in hd you see everything you can see him rip his throat out and then his head kind of drops to the side like I never noticed that before, so is it, that was more prominent now. Like, there is an issue I have with that scene. That's, listen up. When All you right. see that scene where Joseph's being attacked by the dogs, have you noticed that there's two guns being fired at the same time by Joseph? He is firing oh, a pump-action shotgun and a handgun at the same time. How is he able to do that when he's being mauled and having to pump his shotgun and fire his pistol? That, that's impossible because if it's a pump-action shotgun, you have to pump it every time. Now, if you're dealing with a semi-automatic shotgun that fires two or three out of the same time, I understand, but it's a pump-action. And he's using his samurai to shoot the dogs. And I don't know I don't know if there was something wrong with the technical value, but that's just not humanly possible. Honestly, you cannot do that. 
I know, and that's and the first thing it. I caught when I played remake. As soon as he that scene played, you can hear him firing two weapons. Um, he's being mauled by a dog. He's firing a shotgun that's pump action, and he's using a pistol. Um, how is he doing it while being attacked? And that, that don't ever, make have sense. You, have you ever thought that maybe it was Jill's handgun that was shooting because she ran out of ammo yeah. too? Well, that's the way she just say, stood there, just standing there. Yeah, if you yeah. look at Jill, she's pointing a gun, and she near a clicking. She's clicking the gun because it's empty. It's Jill shooting the handgun. She empties the handgun into the dog, and then she's clicking, clicking, looking at it. Yeah, it was Jill. Yeah, I think that I was going to bring that up because yeah, he's firing a, sh- a shotgun, but I believe that the the, sh- the handgun you were hearing was probably Jill shooting because she ran out of ammo, and if you, it would have been for Chris saving her ass, we would have never seen Jill ever again. When you look, when they turn to Jill, you doesn't even look like she shot anything. She just pointed it there, like I don't know what to do. Yeah, she ran out of ammo. That's why. So I mean, but it was already too late. The dog with the Joseph or whatever had already been eaten. He was dead already. If she had yeah. ammo, then she she would have took a shot at the dog instead of stumbling backwards. But she was empty because she unloaded a clip into the dog. I think that when she when she saw Joseph getting eaten by the dogs, I think she panicked and she just pressed the trigger fifteen times automatically and fired all her rounds out. That's what probably ended up happening. She panicked. Remember, Jill. Remember what they said about Jill. Jill dislikes any type of gun shooting. She rather use tactical methods to take out enemies instead of shooting at them. So maybe that's why she she unloaded on the gun. That makes sense now because in the remake you cannot see her finger being moved because of how bad the graphics were and the details. In general, I think where the HD remaster really makes a viable and effective improvement are in the cutscenes particularly the details in the character models. And also, and I noticed this particularly when I, I, I ran the two televisions adjacent with, with the Wii version running and getting the same areas up on both screens. Again, what you forget when your character model for Chris or Jill is a little bit further away from you in the distance, other than effectively determining their gender and whether it is Chris or Jill, there's very little else you can make out. The, 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 the quality is really quite roping. You've got the beautiful pre-rendered backgrounds around them, but no, these character models are are really sharp now. The character models are so much better now. Mm. They did look like they had like like a layer of bloody blur over on before, but now it seems to be crystal clear. Like so, that's much better. Did anybody else notice um, with the the first zombie you see where he gets close up his face when he turns his head? Did anybody else notice his eye was really glazed over? He's got like a layer of skin, white skin on it, and you can see his eyeball move under the white skin. You can see him more prominently now. It's like a layer over his eye. It's my only criticism, really. Obviously, yes, you've got those slightly ropey areas, but I would rather suffer those than have had the whole game redone in Polygon, which would have given us extra detail but I think completely destroyed, I agree with the developers completely destroyed the atmosphere of the game uh, and given us something very much like a Resident Evil 4 uh, look I didn't like the fact that the font the new font was just dull, the original font had a slight gothic feel to it it, just, it looks so bloody just too uh, formal yeah. like kind of like office letter or something yeah, yeah. like that. that's exactly what it yeah. I, I thought that was a bit silly like this, the, the, I can't remember the way it was before but I never had this problem with it before so it must have been better like I don't know why they changed it and so to re-evoke a gothic atmosphere of dread we greet back into the Spencer Mansion the voice of Barry Burton Ed Smarron who will now read, in character, exclusively for Crimson Head Elder, 
the Resident Evil Remaster HD file, the researchers will that Barry can be found reading during Jill's journey through the mansion. To lead us into this Barry Burton official character reading, I'll leave you with Jill as she is about to stumble upon Barry's discovery. Barry, I didn't mean to get you that excited. Right. Anyway, you should read this. Researchers will. There's a letter. June 3rd, 1998. My dearest Alma, let me first apologize for not being able to call you. A man wearing sunglasses didn't permit any phone calls. Sorry, Alma. I sit here trying to think of where to begin. How to explain in a few simple words all that's happened in my life since we last spoke. Already I fail. I hope this letter finds you well. And that you'll forgive the tangents of my pen. This isn't easy for me. Even as I write, I can feel the simplest of concepts slipping away, lost to feelings of despair and confusion. And I have to tell you what's in my heart before I can rest. Alma... Please believe that what I'm telling you is the truth. The entire story would take hours for me to tell you, and time is short, so accept these things as fact. Last month there was an accident in the lab, and the virus we were studying leaked. All my colleagues who were infected or dead or dying, and the nature of the disease is such that those still living have lost their senses. The virus robs its victims of their humanity, forcing them in their sickness to seek out and destroy life. Even as I write these words, I can hear them pressing against my door like mindless, hungry animals. Alma, I have tried to survive only to see you again, but my efforts only delayed the inevitable. I am infected, and there is no cure for what will follow, except to end my life before I lose the only thing that separates me from them, my love for you. In an hour, I'll have entered my eternal sleep where there is peace. Please understand. Please know that I'm sorry. Martin Crackhorn. What do you make of it? Well, I guess we were right about this mansion being quite unnatural. You have a way with understatements. Where's the part that's torn off? Well, my only guess is that it was the most important part and somebody didn't want anyone to see it. Let's continue our investigation. Resident Evil. Straight after where you see the first zombie, and then you go in, and there's like uh, like a bird cage in front of you. For the bird cage area is a new area because the selfish G mentioned what throws people is that immediately after you start the game and you come out of the dining room, one thing that's different on the original is that you have to go back into the dining room. You then find yourself in the birdcase area. 
Yeah, um, well, I think it's probably one of the most mysterious rooms in the house, in my opinion. I mean, you got the shackles on the wall. Yes, I've always won. Yeah, I've wondered about those shackles because did you notice them particularly with the HD remaster? Because that's yeah. that. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> yeah, that's what came into my mind. Those shackles on the wall because it's an odd sort of place to, for, for them to be. You know, this is not an underground cellar. You might think to find them in the Crimson Head Elder tomb, but. I don't yeah. know why, but Lisa came to mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just oh, thinking the perfect. same thing. I always wanted to know what went on in that room, and that that's probably as good as it gets, isn't it? It's got to be that. But what you say there, Crimson, you've always wanted to know what goes on in what went on in that room. That's yeah. what I love about Resident Evil. You and I've always been intrigued by those mysterious dead bodies. You've got one in Resident Evil Three, the mercenary that's cradling the girl. You've got the guy in the residence by where you get the insecticide for the bees that's clasping at his throat. Yeah, ah, oh, that stood out so much more in HD as well. Did you notice that? And I actually preferred the pained look on the original. I think that was you... just the charm of blue, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. No, you're right, it was. But that blur just came across better. I don't know what it was. I actually preferred the original because I've always loved that, that, that guy. I've always thought about him. <laughs> I always thought he died from an allergic reaction. <laughs> yeah. He looks great now. With the update in controls and giving new gamers particularly, because this is a concern of mine, is bringing REHD and specifically that style of survival horror to a new generation of gamers and the consequence of their being success within that group having a bearing on future Resident Evil games. Oh, well, if they can't handle the old controls, they've got no fucking chance with the new ones because I couldn't, I couldn't use it. It was, ball, it was wank. It was bollocks. I, I thought they were a completely useless uh, waste of time. You try to run around corners and you just end up 360ing on yourself and running back the same way you came. Just like disco. Yeah, that's what I'm saying though. But they brought this new edition in and it was just completely useless. Uh, that analog stick is just pointless. But I know a guy, right, who I got to play Remake because he loved RE4. And I said, play Remake. And he said, I can't play this with the fucking, it's so slow and clunky. But if I chucked him on it with the analog stick, I'm, su I'm sure he'd be saying this game is bollocks. The analog stick is trying to move away from the slow, clunky, kind of robotic... Well, put it this way, I, I, I find it impossible to run in a straight line with the analog stick. Yeah, me too. That's what I'm saying. They brought this in as a new feature. Oh, yeah, this is for the new gamers, so it's easier. It's not fucking easier. It's, there's obviously a skill to it, isn't there? Skill, Western... probably yeah. smash your head against the fucking wall and then be as confused think, yeah. as that is. I don't know if that's yeah. a skill, but... I started using the D-pad and then everything was fine. I was just in my clunky stilted slow heaven but it, it works better doesn't it and they they, they brought this uh, well, that's what I'm saying they brought this thing in now for the fucking new gamers who oh, are going to find the new it gamers e yeah fuck them yeah. <laughs> we're going to find it easier and all this bollocks like but there's no way like that is not easier Talking quickly of that Asia Collector set, I'm lucky enough to have received mine I was a bit worried about what the George Trevor map would be like in terms of the size and the, even the standard of paper it would be on and it's lovely it's, it's very nice indeed. Really? Oh yeah, it's a good size. It, it's it's nice sort of thick paper. You know, it's not just like a thin poster thing. You know, it's it's it's, it's quite like thick. You know, is it double sided? On the on the second side, you've just got July the fifth, nineteen sixty two. Meeting went well. Some of Lord Spencer's design proposals were complicated, but nothing we can't handle. This is a very exciting project. He's even going to invite my family and I when it's completed. Plus, let my daughter Lisa be a model for one of the paintings in the gallery. Such an honour. 
I like that, but then I don't like this bit. This is a bit. This is cheesy. There's there's no need for this bit. He's then just written at the bottom here. That dog has had no proper training. My blueprints are now covered in ink, but they're not, thank God. And then <laughs> and then, then on the back you've just got a map. I mean, it looks very nice. It's present. It's very thick, cream sort of sepia-coloured parchment-style paper. Uh, there's just sort of little paragraphs he's written. Update: Changing construction companies due to start date will be pushed back. Going with Lord Spencer's recommendation. Just just little things like that. Nothing, unfortunately, that you can you sort of could print as a little feature or you know uh, addition to George Trevor's notes. In fact, the thing I just read before that that's the most detailed of the lot on the front. It's just little generic things like there's a line to one of the plans of the bedroom and it just says uh, decorate with old paintings, custom order production clock, do something with the handle. So little references back to the game, like the puzzle with, with you know, with the grandfather clock in the in the dining room, and then he's just written here, tiger with blue and yellow eyes. There, there's an arrow pointing to to the little storeroom where that that puzzle is. But it's presented very nicely. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah it is. It sounds awesome. I'm so happy with it. I thought it was going to be a piece of crap, to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be just <laughs> normal paper, but it, it turns it's got it's got that map feel to it, which I love. <laughs> the show must go on. It's not like we're out of this yet. Yeah, Lisa Trevor. So how long did it take everyone to realise that she was invulnerable? To, to, how much ammunition did you waste? That's a good when question. I, from my perspective, when I first saw Lisa in the remake, I did not shoot at her. I just ran. because yeah, I, don't, same I, don't, yeah I just ran. I, didn't want to, I just had this feeling that this creature was immortal so i am not gonna waste any ammo i'm gonna do a trick and goodbye and see you later <laughs> yeah i gotta agree same here i i just t- t- turned and bolted like I- i'm not used to what's this this is this is new she takes off half the fucking room like okay i'm out of here i just i just love the very first introduction to her when you're you're exploring the mansion behind when... a staircase in the main lobby yes oh yeah when she when oh. she's uh, screaming yes. and moaning yeah and and that's one of the very first things you hear in the game what was was Great was brilliantly frustrating. You know, frustrating in a brilliant way was that that area was locked away and it was so far away because those two emblems. I mean, it's almost towards the end of the game when when you finally get to open up, and and you know, hearing that noise and and then you have to spend all this time wondering. And and I had that just prominent in in my mind. Just just continue. Just all I wanted to do was was just find the source of of of, of that horrific moaning. And as soon yeah. as you go up to the cabin, you hear the ch- ch- uh, rattling of the shackles. I heard that before somewhere. You actually you... get a radio call from Barry as well when you head into the cabin. And he's like, Oh, yeah, he warns about bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. Stay okay. away from the force outside of the mansion. Stay away. <laughs> exactly. It's like, okay, um, I'm, do I want to be doing this? And then the reaction of, of of Joe when she looks back, like, what is he talking about? When you first hear that, you're thinking, um, should I be still going this way or should I head back? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and then you get that view that Crimson was just talking about and you think, no, I don't think I will head back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Resident Evil. New game modes. We've got new game modes with Remake. Real Survival is interesting because this was Shinji Mikami's preference, original idea as to how the game should play out. 
And again, I think fears, particularly for the Japanese market, that the difficulty would be a, a turn-off and a barrier to the, the full experience. It, it was dropped in favour of, of, of connecting item boxes. I love real survival mode. I just think it's an addition. It's an additional difficulty without it just simply being less ammo and more damage and less herbs you know you've got just that extra kind of different dimension again it really makes you have to think i mean particularly when you're having to contend with zombies that you don't wish to turn into crimson head elders and having to traverse one part of the mansion to the other again it just has a throws in another dimension to the difficulty yeah, I would have liked to see a mercenaries mode in the, in the remake on the remaster division. I would have be so freaking awesome to see that a mercenaries mode where you get to use every character's weapon. There's like berries is his weapon, Wesker with his weapon. You know, just every character has their own customization of weapons, and they, you fight against zombies. I mean, that would have just been fucking badass to do to see, including could, the be... Dead Stars members too. Exa- yeah, yeah, including the Dead Stars members. Yeah, all the Alpha and Bravo team. You can play them in a mercenaries mode. That would be so oh. freaking awesome. Oh, that would have been fantastic, yeah. They could have even chucked in like a mission list or something, not like it's like go through the game and then you got like ten different things to do. It's like go oh, finish the game using only a samurai edge and then tick a little box and then you, you just go through and tick all the boxes through the list and that would have been something to aim for. I mean, that's certainly something that they could have utilized in the original game. One way that they were restricted with the H D version was in terms of voice actors and having to you know stick to the original script and not input any further gameplay that would have required additional dialogue but yeah it would have been fantastic to have had a mercenaries in the 2002 remake yeah exactly i would have loved and to see that because you've got such fantastic characters with the different stars and and the fact that each one has their own signature weapon yes and, sig- and signature ability even the alpha members in general though it's like you know they're different just by the way they look. And then you get in Resident Evil 6, you get just like generic characters where you can't tell the difference between them. But in Resident Evil 1, yes. it's like a forest is this guy and you something up in your head about a character and you kind of relate to them. Like, And that's what the rest of the games have been missing lately. The BSSA backup teams are just interchangeable clones. Just skins, yeah. You're absolutely right. Whereas, and you've picked up on a point that Shinji Mikami made that he mentions for the original 1996 game, the characters for stars, he wanted to make original and ha- and each one have its own particular... Personality. But ba- Yeah, ba- backstory, absolutely. I think he uses the word personality, but without making them too spectacular or affect the seriousness of the tone, which is one of the reasons why they they, they dropped one of the characters that he refers to as the Eddie Murphy character that was going to be this um, kind of more jovial, jokey character, which was dropped. It reminds me of Predator, the film Predator, where you've got all the different kinds of, of uh, main cast. you got the guy with the machine gun plane, and then you got Dutch, and uh, it's just like a good movie writing, and the, the original game, I think that's just good character setup. Can we talk Invisible Enemies? Ah, I've never tried that. Yeah, you should try it at least once. You can, you can play it on easy or normal or hard, so um, you, it can be pretty easy. So there, there's sort of weird interactions. It's not impossible, and it's not unfair, if that makes sort of any sense. So zombies have reflections. Oh. So they don't have shadows. They don't cast shadows, but they cast reflections. So, you know... You know um. You know where you get the arrow out of the bust? 
Yeah, yes, one of the very first things. Oh, oh, that, so I the, wondered... mir- the mirrors at either end of that corridor, you can actually see the zombies in. So you can fight through the mirrors. I wonder if that's a gameplay mechanic specifically for that purpose, because it's funny you say that. The other night, and, and just noticing things more in particular with the HD upscale, uh, and I was looking at every decorative item because uh, a lot of them are quite eccentric and, and curious. And I, I did wonder why why particularly place a mirror in that little just sort of unassuming area, a full-length it, mirror there. It seems kind of almost out of place. Um, well, you can see around that corner, yeah. I guess it was, well, I mean, in the main game, you can see the zombie around that corner, invisible yeah. or not. It sort of draws your attention to the environment in some way. So if you've got the mode unlocked, what you can do, just go to the main hall and let the dog in through the front door. <laughs> And and it will you'll see the reflection of the enemy on the marble surface. Now now did you even know that the main hall marble surface was reflected? No. No, well, I don't think no. But but you you'll notice that detail if the, the enemies are invisible. You sort of start to look through the environments of ways to Yeah, of course to, you know, ways work to around. And 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 how often can you rely on that? Not a lot. So like I think um in the in the zombie that comes out of the bathtub, I thought, oh, surely there's something reflective in here. But I yeah. don't, don't think you really get a good camera angle to to use that. And it's such close quarters, he grabs you pretty much straight away. Yeah, yeah, because there's a mirror but, in the um, room, but it's... oh, like in the lab area, that just the little there's a few puddles on the ground where you actually see zombies reflected. Which which if you're playing the game normally, you, you just don't notice those details. No, you're yeah. It's actually worth it's nearly worth one playthrough just on easy. You can still see a puddle of blood when you've killed the zombie, so you know where to set it on fire. I think that's right. If oh, you cool. stab an enemy in the head with a dagger, you can see the dagger. So it's it's like literally a dagger hovering there, you know, <laughs> and which you can aim for because if you blow the head off, you can recover the dagger, of course. Yeah, daggers are actually really useful um, in that mode. Yeah, yeah. The yawn monster as well. Like you can in that room, you can see the dust that it kicks up as it slithers, and you can see like saliva dripping off its fangs. And, and the other thing is, if you want challenge, it is challenging. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it was mainly because of the challenge that I bottled out of doing it, but I just love that idea that, that you've brought that you can pick up on those tiny little environmental details that Remake is so spectacular for. It just sort of highlights things for you. So when you go back and play with all the enemies in place, you can say, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I can see. It's really cool. I played one dangerous zombie mode on the remake, and I have a very hilarious thirst about the situation. <laughs> okay. Well, I had already gotten almost to the whole mansion like in 30 minutes, right? Then I get to the place where you have to face a snake, but first you have to get the musical notes. Well, I didn't expect Forrest to be there. I thought there was going to be a zombie. So I pointed the gun, shot at him, and I failed the mission. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> He's in there, isn't he? <laughs> thirty minutes. I had never passed. I had never passed the whole mansion in thirty minutes, and then I go and do that stupid idiot, that stupid idiotic idea. Oh, let me shoot you with the rocket launcher. I thought it was a regular zombie. Oh, you <laughs> fail. Goodbye. Try it again. <laughs> Game <Yeah>. over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reason I didn't succumb to that is because the little what I do in that area to save ammo is I push the bookcase across, and then I turn the player around so his back's facing that little alcove i slowly walk backwards towards it so that you then get the screen change that zombie goes to grab you then you're already facing in the right direction to run away and then i just do like a little benny hill <laughs> running around the table and i just and I, I just i then while he's running around the table i then go back into the alcove grab the musical notes 
and I and I just run out of there like a pussy. But my excuse is that <laughs> my excuse is I've saved on ammo. You see. Yeah, that's understandable. No, I had the the rocket launcher with infinite ammo, but I totally forgot Forrest was in there. So I shot blindly, and I felt yeah. the mission after almost going throughout the whole mansion in 30 minutes. Oh, I was making great time. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, that when since he has the grenades on, you have to get bitten by him. You cannot stab him unless you have it set on manual. And if you have it set on a manual and you decide to stab him, you're going to die. The fact that he that he he doesn't walk. He runs after you. It's like having a damn crimson head with grenades on. He's running after you. <laughs> Oh, of course, yes. You've got the additional speed as well. Give me a hug. I just want yeah. a hug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> yes, exactly. that's how he runs, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, go away. No. <laughs> but he does kind of have that odd way of running. You're right. He has a very distinctive way of running at you. Yes, exactly. Like like Oracle point out, give me a hug. <laughs> that was horrible when he was running behind me. And, and there was multiple times when I was playing the game that I was so close to being bit by him, but somehow I managed to dodge him. I'm Ed Smarin, the voice, Barry Burden. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Right, defensive weapons. That is a lifesaver, that's for yeah, sure. it is. Oh, God, yeah, I hear that. With regard to Chris Hard survival mode, <laughs> they are a lot. I found this. Remember the first game? How hard it was trying to go through the mansion with just so many limited herbs and ammo. These these little defense items actually help you get further than you could possibly before. Because if you run out of them, you know you're going to be in a panic. Well, the selfish gene mentioned before that he really liked the balance of the game. Having been initially disappointed playing through REHD with Jill and finding it not particularly challenging on hard mode, playing it with Chris hard real survivor not having and not having the ability to carry around additional health items that i would have got with jill also there are less there's less ammo around for chris there's less health around for chris leave it at that it, it might have been just a little bit too hard but you can then just balance that out because i've had situations where i've had no ammo at all and then that that one defensive weapon has just been an absolute lifesaver and, and that's the balance that, that gene talks about that i love yeah, but is that is that cheating though? No. <laughs> is that what the original was all about? Is it is about being out of ammo? Is it about being bitten and and not being able to cheap out? Um, I don't know. I I love remakes, so I, I I'm being negative Nancy here, but I I think I don't think it was an essential part of the game. One way they are useful, selfish gene mentioned, is on one invisible enemy mode. Yeah, if I was gonna say. You 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 see the you see the arrow sticking out of the head. Crimson heads. What do we all make about these guys? Awesome. <laughs> I named myself after them, so. I named the site after them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the, the crimson heads were awesome. I really enjoyed it. It, it adds more terror to the atmosphere because those things are so fast and quick that it just adds more terror to the atmosphere. It's unbelievable. The, the first time you encounter the Crimson Head Elder, that lifeless, motionless body that you think's harmless, and then just suddenly... Rises it just get, up and gives out a show. Yeah, this guy rises with purpose and speed. He comes up so fast, it's like... I, I always imagine he does like the Dracula thing where he's on his back and yes. he just goes... Yeah. To his feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, fuck this, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Has anybody ever like stood around the corner? If you stand on the corner where you can see the mirror and you can see the other zombie, you can actually see the mirror and then you can see uh, Crimson Head standing there. And if you stand there looking, you can actually see he's like snorting, like pissed off as fuck. Like you can see all this air coming out of him and you can hear him making this really creepy noise. And it's just like, okay, I'm not going that way. I'll go back around. <laughs> if you look in the mirror, you can see a reflection of him because it's bouncing yeah. off from one wall and then it's showing him like, you can you can actually see him just standing there, just raging like a fucking rider, just ready to rip someone's throat out. He must have had some really bad halitosis. <laughs> <laughs> what is great about the Crimson Heads is that they create a puzzle and a danger with within the puzzle and danger that you're already having to contend with. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, plan your route. <laughs> Exactly. So you're you're already dealing with one particular puzzle that involves getting one item from one side of the mansion to the other. If you are going to then deal with these zombies, you've got your fuel canteen, which you're also going to have to refuel. So that in itself becomes another little operation within an already fraught experience. And then that's the the magic of the introduction of the little keys for Chris's gameplay. On my first playthrough on REHD with Chris, I had to turn it off. Because I literally couldn't progress. I couldn't get to a part of the mansion to get an old key in order to allow myself access to a fuel canteen that I needed. In order to burn a body that I had to burn because if I didn't, there was no way I could deal with that crimson head. I hit a brick wall. There was no way for me to progress. I was trapped in that room without Barry coming to save me and I was a Jill sandwich. It's game over, man. It wasn't game over because I'd been killed. I was still alive. But I knew I might as well turn it off because it was pointless continuing. I was killed by a combination of lack of health strategy. items, <laughs> ammo, yeah, and the game strategy working against me. <laughs> yeah, like being beaten by the computer at computer chess. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Checkmate, like, <laughs> like, the, like the, uh, the chessboard in that additional room. Oh, yeah. should just come up, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It knows. It knows. It looks at my inventory. It knows that I can't. It knows I haven't got any old keys. I can't get refueled. It should just come up. Yeah, you're far. <laughs> if if you guys who are a lot younger than me, if you ever want to experience the quality of a very badly copied seventies, early eighties porn movie on a VHS cassette. That, that maybe where, done... where are we going? <laughs> I like where this is going. Yeah, yeah, if you really want to recreate that quality, just watch the HD remaster recreation of the cutscene that you get when you drain the water with the crank. That is just atrocious. It's no different to the original, which, which you know, which was was appalling anyway. I just skipped it. I just I, I give it a second. I thought, okay, fair enough. I'm skipped it. <laughs> I mean, if you if you put all your hard work into into this project i mean what you just why would you want to embarrass it i don't know if there's a technical reason i'm not thinking of as to why they couldn't re re redo that but the quality of all the other cut scenes have been improved uh, the, the the fmv of the intro and the little connecting fmvs that we get during the gameplay between jill and barry and chris and rebecca the, the, these have all been improved. So why they couldn't have improved that little five seconds when what you've got isn't just maybe off a little bit. I mean, it's just atrocious. I, I don't know why they've left that in. It's because it's they're fucking lazy, that's why. Because Capcom have become lazy and complacent. 
is the files in RE6 and what half of them are in the game and half of them oh, are online. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? We could, this is a what kind of bullshit is that? Like, <laughs> this is a that's just pure laziness. We'll be here all night, man. We'll, we'll, listen, I will do a separate podcast with you guys just on what's wrong with Resident Evil 6, which will be oh, quite... That, oh my god, that's yeah, going to be all night. It'll be your fucking yeah. week, George. <laughs> as far as a port goes, I mean, I find it hard to score it low because it's my favourite game of all time. Mm. Uh, they, they could have done so much more with it. Um, for, for starters, they could have done everything right. You know, you, you don't fucking change some cutscenes and, and not others, and you don't change some areas and not others. You do the whole thing. If it had all been polygons, like Resident Evil 4, you would have lost a lot of the, the a lot of the atmosphere and feel of the original game. I thought that area looked great, and um, they probably should have done the rest of the game like that. If, if it looks mm. that good, I, um, I didn't notice any difference. Um, didn't take away any of the atmosphere for me. To be honest with you, I was a bit disappointed with it. Um, I'd probably give it a four out of ten. Um, yeah, there's there's some things I like, but mm. there's a lot of things I didn't like. And when you got a game that's perfect, like remake, uh, you either do it right or or you do it wrong. And I think they did it wrong. They fucked up a few things. It's like if you if you're remaking a classic movie, you don't change what's right with it. You just mm. make it better. And they they didn't make it better overall. They did like ninety percent of the game. It's just fucking lazy. Yeah, I'm giving them a four. I don't disagree, actually, with anything that you've just, just said. It, it's really exactly how I, I, I feel. Although I don't necessarily think that they did as, as lazy a job. But there were nice touches and areas that they have redone, and, and you can see where they've spent a lot of time. The air, the area outside where you find Forest Body, some of those outside areas in particular, they've, they've, they've redone plant textures and models. Uh, yeah, I think particularly the outside areas look fantastic, actually. I think of all the areas that have benefited the most, I think the outside areas have. Mark out of 10, I would give it 6, and, and, and nothing higher for all the reasons that, that actually that you gave Crimson. I think we're all pining for some DLC. <laughs> well, Enrico, I mean, everyone, a lot of people criticise Resident Evil Zero for not being Enrico's journey to the mansion. And how fantastic to play as Enrico to the mansion. Yeah, it's, it's all this, these kinds of things which I am really interested in. And I honestly couldn't give two shits about Revelations 2 or Resident Evil 7. Just yes. give me like an hour's worth of mission, a mini mission, and I'd be happy. From the horror of the Spencer Mansion to the terror of the Raccoon City streets, as we now join the Selfish Gene back from Universal Studios Japan, having reviewed for us live from Japan the Screen Park attraction Biohazard The Real 2 for our previous podcast, he now joins our panel with a further comprehensive review. It's an attraction at Universal Studios Japan where um, you and a group of other people all get a shotgun each and you you go through the, what's the streets of Raccoon City sort of through to the labs um, shooting enemies as they attack you. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was curious in terms of the, the park sort of, you know, menu. Is it like one of the headliners? It's not really advertised. It doesn't take up much of the park real estate. Yeah, even in the little holiday booklets, there's 
not much space. So that they do like a Halloween horror thing in October. Yeah, and I think September, October. And this was one of four or five attractions for that. I think there was a Jason one, there was a Chucky one. So they're, they're all there for the whole time, but they sort of give them equal advertising and attention. And what's what's the method for shooting? Is this, it's not paintball, is it like laser gun or...? The shotguns were Tokyo Meadowy. Which is, who do all the Samurai Edge replica firearms oh, that, that you can actually Tokyo buy. Mario, yeah. Yeah, so they, they, they had some good weight to them, though. They felt good. Yeah. Actually, on, on the second time, my my gun um, sort of seized up. It was a bit unreliable. Yeah, the, the guns felt good. So that was, I think, the big differentiation point from the real one. I think you only got a pistol in that and the real yeah. two, which the big selling point of this one has been the, uh, the shotgun. So they don't fire a projectile. They sort of make this click sound. And they had like an ammunition counter on the top as well as like a health bar in lights. Um, so you had 30 shots. So like some of the enemies and things around had like LEDs. So I guess it gets information from light. And so there was like there was a little checkpoint a couple of times, sort of a third of the way through where there's a green herb light and you point the gun at that and your health goes up. And there was also a... Um, like an ammo box a third of the way through where if you sort of point the gun inside your, your bullets increase what was the, like the sort of the standard of makeup for the zombies all the costumes were, were awesome all the costumes were awesome uh, yeah so at, like at the start there's sort of zombies and there's one or two points where you shoot zombies and they sort of go back against the wall and, and slump over and there's like there's a like a bright neon sort of orange red light of blood splatter behind them so they they have an effect that they've actually been shot another sort of really cool thing that they did especially in that that first streets area there's one part where you get into this tiny room like a like a deli where you're on one side and there's a counter and then sort of zombies come through and pop up but sort of as we went through a staff uh, yeah park staff person who, who most of them are dressed in UVCS, you know, they're the ones who send you room to room. It must have been a staff person dressed in normal clothing because one of the zombies obviously singles out and grabs this person out of our group and, you know, drags them across the counter. Oh, cool. <laughs> there's a there's an alley where it's like a, a U-shape where you just go up one end and back down the other and there's a, a chain mesh fence in it and then the last person in there is staff. I guess, and then so a zombie. As, as you're waiting for the door to open, as the UBCS is briefing you, um, it's all in Japanese. I can't tell you what they said. Um, a, a zombie, a zombie comes up and grabs the last person and, and drags them back into the area previous, and you, and then that's what makes the UBS person. So just run, just go, 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 and then so they they maintain a sense of urgency through it, which is which is oh, pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's good. That yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it was really well crafted like mm, that mm. That's, that's kind of really what you want because a lot of these things can feel quite stilted and the, the you know the general theme is all there you know biohazard uh, virus outbreak but but you know in, in terms of translating it across to a, a formatted structured a theme park experience it, it can come across tacky and you know and, and, and artificial so that, that that's that's something that i would have really wanted to have seen that's really good you like you said that sense of urgency Right towards the end, in the sort of last to second last room, I think. In, so in the labs, there's um, 
a UBCS member who's telling you, you know, what to do in the next room, where to go, and then a zombie attacks them and then just starts screaming, just go, 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 go. Um, which is sort of actually, because we went on it twice, that's sort of the only bit that didn't quite work. Cause as soon as everyone saw that zombie, they started shooting it when you meant to actually go to the next room. But, oh. um, <laughs> Yeah, but, but other, they yeah they they still got this real sense of urgency through it, yeah. which was which was really cool. They yeah they kept the classic soundtrack. Um, you can see in that video, which I'm, I'm really pleased, you can see the Kendo Gun Store logo sort of in the waiting room where you where you where you pick up your guns. They really made a lot of attention to detail to to old fans rather than anything from Operation Raccoon City. That's, that's all pleasantly surprising, that's nice. I, I agree, I was very surprised. Yeah, yeah I um, almost sort of worryingly expected, you know, Paul Anderson input. There was only sort of one thing, I think I said, which is the Nemesis holding the minigun, which borrows from the, oh, yeah. from the films, but I, I was okay with that. Yeah, we'll forgive that. <laughs> we'll and so, so you find him sort of in an area like the front of the RPD, and as he, as he comes out, there's sort of zombies standing around and he actually punches the head off of a zombie um which so it's obviously you know the zombie's got a removable head yeah and then the zombie just you know falls down to his knees and, and falls forward if you play Mad Jackal and I must be the only person who, who loves Mad Jackal I play Mad Jackal more than I play the oh, main really? game oh wow oh shit yeah yeah I'll play it if you haven't played it it's so good um but there's actually a point in that where because there's rooms with nemesis and zombies and if he gets blocked by a zombie he'll punch its head off to, to get to you oh cool now I don't know how, that's a really obscure reference if that's what they've gone for but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you get to the the lab area and all the all the zombies there are naked which was fantastic just that's the sort of attention to detail mm. I, I said to my friend I went with I said that that means nothing to you that's entirely incidental but for someone like me that's just so yeah, cool to yeah. see yeah absolutely this was fantastic I had such a good time so then like in the labs there's a tyrant from RE1 who you know breaks out of his enclosure and starts to chase you and so you just sort of run to the next area how do they deal, sort of deal with like the physical presence and height of the tyrant is, is that sort of all there I think it was like a big actor yeah <laughs> but then on top of that he was actually elevated on a stage his stage was parallel to where we walked there was no barrier in between, but he was always elevated, which which I didn't think about but until you mentioned it. But I'm sure it was deliberate mm. to give him a bigger presence. Yeah, yeah. And so once he's out, you shoot him a few times, and then then you you run, and then like you sort of run through this couple of big connected rooms. There's details there, so there's sort of there's zombies in tubes and things like that, and then and there's also Mister X like strapped to a table which is on an angle against the wall like with you know iron shackles on and then sure enough the zombies break out and Mr X breaks off the table and sort of comes into the next bigger room and you shoot him and then that yeah and then sort of zombies come from other areas and all the time how is a player you taking damage is it in terms of the zombies just touching you making contact well it seemed pretty arbitrary so you have red lights on your gun. By this point, some people already had none left. Right. Um, and apparently it's based on proximity. I don't know. Okay. Don't quite know. Um, I'll tell you my theory on it at the end. But um, they, yeah, and so you shoot Mr. X enough and then he sort of staggers around this corner and then 
someone comes out in a giant super tyrant costume which which also looked pretty awesome he was he was huge and as he comes out there's a UBCS member who is like just nearby which he turns and skewers and then like lifts off the ground so I guess and you look at it and the UBCS person's like on a sliding panel against the wall that you don't notice until I didn't notice until the second time how they how they sort of did the, the illusion but he stabs through with the claws and then lifts and that this panel behind yeah actually lifts then he he sort of withdraws his claws and turns on you yeah the production value sound pretty high this was really good it, yeah. the, like as all the costumes that the little things like so you know the enemy entrances and the um the civilians being attacked all the all those little things just really add to it yeah it, it was it was pretty awesome yeah it was really great yeah, online there's not a lot about it. Uh, even on the USJ no. website, they don't have a lot. No, they're um, no. And no. you can't really, you can't read into, like if, if I saw the, the new UBCS logo and I saw, even just using the new font from Resident Evil 6, if I saw stuff like that, I'd be a bit, a bit wary, but there was just mm. nothing. I, I really had no big expectations. Yeah. Having the, um, the remake HD announcement recently gave me high hopes that it'd be more based on that. Mm. They, um, they did a TV commercial in Japan. The The production, even in just that ad, looks awesome. It's a 15-second TV spot, but it was it, it just looked really great. Like, mm. yeah, better than any way they advertised the games recently. Even the food is themed, like... Um, so the, the paper that they, they give you the food on is a copy of the Raccoon City Times. And, like, even in the green herb drink, there's little golden jelly stars... Yeah, just, that's so cool. Like, they, they didn't have to be stars, but they were. It was just, just that little detail. Um, is really what made it awesome for me. And to conclude tonight's Crimson Head Elder podcast is our exclusive interview with the voice of Barry Burton, Mr. Ed Smarron. I'm Ed Smarron, the voice of Barry Burton. Become a resident in Crimson Head Elder, the Resident Evil tome, or you may just find your Resident Evil passion falls as flat as a chill sandwich. Good evening, and welcome to another Crimson Head Elder exclusive interview with the voice of Barry Burton, Mr. Ed Smarron. I'm Ed Smarron, the voice of Barry Burton. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Good evening, I'm George Trevor. I would like to welcome Crimson Head Elder residents and the whole Resident Evil community to this exclusive interview with our very special guest, Ed Smarron, the iconic voice that brought Barry Burton, Resident Evil's most emotionally torn characters, into the hearts of many. And if I may say, you have animated Barry's character into a presence that is held in great affection by the community. Ed, welcome. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. It's very kind and generous of you to offer your time to us in this way. Uh, I can assure you there's a huge Resident Evil community extremely appreciative and excited to hear from you, all of whom share a particular very great fondness for your portrayal of Barry Burton. But before I delve deeper into Barry's own personal tragedy and, and why he's held in such affection, 
I'd like, like if I may to start at the beginning. Uh, you mean before doing this particular job? You know, I'd done one or two things, but uh, this was certainly the, the biggest. In fact, I remember one of my agents saying, man, I really hope you get this job. And Barry Burton, if I'm correct, that was your first foray into the world of video game voice acting. Oh, uh, was it my... It might have been my first, but it was pretty early on. Had you had previous experience of the Resident Evil series before this role came up? No, I did not. Well, actually, what I... The, the, the version that I did, uh, I was told that I was sort of replacing someone who had done it before. Yeah, and so you, you were obviously you were aware that this was a remake of a previous game, you were replacing a previous a previous actor. Yes, they did tell me that, yes. It may not be something that you, you want to, to go into detail with, but did they give you any indication as to why they were looking for someone else? They did not. Uh, as far as I can remember, um, a lot of times in voiceovers, people just get replaced. Uh, it, it's not only for, for a lot of different reasons. Like sometimes people get, get tired with anyway, commercials and everything too. People just get maybe tired of the current voice that's doing it. Sometimes somebody uh, decides they don't like them. Other times it's, you know, other unfortunate types of, of reasons. Yeah. But uh, I didn't really know about this until uh, I think after I did it. So with that in mind, what extent, if any, did you feel it necessary to familiarise yourself with the previous portrayal incarnation of, of, of Barry in, in, in the first Resident Evil game? Well, they, they didn't... I, I, I think they wanted someone who was a, a similar sounding. So, I mean, they, we, we didn't want to change the character all that much. Yeah. And also, I, I guess there were some people that were unhappy with some of the writing and some of the dialogue <laughs> and some of the lines yes. that were in that previous version. And I know a lot of that stuff had been redone. So I don't know if they want to just redo the whole thing fresh. Uh, but but I know that was, was a thing uh, that I heard about from a lot of fans uh, after it came out. Yeah. We'll, we'll come on to Resident Evil's very particular style of dialogue uh, later on in the interview, because that's something that uh, a lot of fans wanted to actually ask you about that particular style. But um, so no, it didn't go as, as deep as to literally you sitting down and, and, and actually seeing Barry Burton in the previous video game and, and seeing the type of character he was previously. Well, they provide you with, you know, they provide you with like uh, the drawings. Here's what the character looks like and here's what he's oh. about. And here are some of the things, you know, here's some other lines from the from the previous dialogue. So here's an idea of what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay. But they didn't, for example, go as far as to talk to you, uh, and, and I mentioned it in, in, in my introduction about why there is a lot of affection and interest in Barry. And were those sort of features that you would have been aware of? That was not provided to me beforehand, no. Okay, that's interesting. There, there, there can often be a, a disparity between the fondness for a character that the fans have and the, the professional relationship that the, the voice actor has with their character. Let me put it this way. I don't recall that being uh, uh, provided to me. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember getting that information. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Did that level of character information vary at all in comparison to the other two stars members you voiced? Because these in comparison to Barry, I would suggest, were, were slightly more minor or minimal characters. You had Kenneth J. Sullivan and Forrest, who voiced those two characters as well. 
I think the way I remember it was um, you're being hired to be buried, yeah. and they made you know, and probably a couple of other characters. Uh, I, you know, Barry was obviously the the main thing, mm-hmm. and then they would give you a couple other things to do, which which happens a lot in uh, video game and, and animation voice work. Did, did did you find it particularly sort of difficult to distinguish between the three and and to provide each three with you know very, very unique and different voices? I don't think I found it uh, difficult. Uh, I think a lot of times in the session you try some certain things, and and you know they're all there. You know the director was there, and a couple of the the, the uh, creators were there uh, up in a booth, and they say, "Yeah, we like this. Stick with that," and and that's what we do. We do uh, the characters a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different kinds until we hit on something we like, and then we go with that. Okay, so. In consideration of, of, of your varied work before and, and, and since portraying Barry, how, how much fondness did, did you have for the character whilst recording? And, and were you aware at the time or have you been aware since of this enormous affection that the community ha- has for your realisation of Barry? Well, it certainly sank in afterwards where I, uh, you know, I knew it was a, uh, one of the main characters, but then later on, uh, you know, reading reviews and reading other comments online about the game and, and about the characters and the things I, you know, I, you kind of look back and you realize, oh, really? Yeah, what did I just do? This is, uh, you know, this is a pretty uh, major thing. So, so yeah, I, I, it kind of came to me afterward. During those recordings, considering that, was there quite a pressure of expectation uh, noticeably coming from the developers due to the huge success the series had enjoyed previously? And um, presumably they, they, they were in the room at the same time. And, and were, you, were you aware of that pressure? I gotta tell you, no. I mean, I think they did a pretty good job about that where they said, where nobody came up to you and said, hey, look, we've got to remake this game and we've got to change this character it's got to be like this and if we don't get it right this time we're all screwed (laughs) it was was never like that it was very professional it was like you know uh, we like your work and we want you to do this job and uh and let's go in the studio and 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 do it right and i think everybody was happy and uh, no i didn't uh they didn't make me feel any kind of pressure at all it was very professional Okay, because I think one of the things myself, and I know that sort of has, has come out in the questions the community have, have emailed, they want me to ask you, is the le- that level of interaction that you, you that you would have had with the developers o- o- on the day to day recordings. Well, uh, first of all, it was only two days. I mean, we we spent two full days in in a studio doing this stuff. Oh, that, that's considerably shorter than I would have thought. Okay. Yeah, but they were they were full days. Yeah. Uh, which is a long time to talk in front of a microphone, eight, eight hours. And then uh, there was, uh, let's see, uh, there, was a, there was a director in there and a couple of directors who, um, frankly, you know, English was not their first language. <laughs> no. and, and there was a lot of uh, uh, sort of translation going on. But, you know, it, it was normal direction kind of stuff there was uh yeah they 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 were very free with kind of just letting people do their stuff and i think i was the i was the the person who was sounding the what the the way they wanted and delivering the performance they wanted i think they were happy with it and they and they uh they they let it go well you've hit upon a a particular point of interest and debate actually is, is is the fact that 
English is not the first language of uh, Resident Evil's creators, and of we get actually quite poor standard translations, which even sometimes give quite uh, significant disparities in the actual story. Um, in our interview that Catherine Disher very kindly gave us, she also talked of barriers of communication. I was interested in your experience of Capcom's production staff and if you faced any similar translation difficulties. You know, like I said, we went through the director uh, who was uh, there, and if there were any questions or comments or problems, let's say something the director didn't understand, you know, they would talk with the Capcom people. Uh, you know, I did, I did talk to those... Uh, two people, uh, the, the, the directors, it wasn't like they were, you know, hiding from me or <laughs> avoiding me uh, or anything like that. Uh, so communication problems, uh, no. If there was something like, let's say there was a, a line that maybe didn't work or a line that director said, you know what, I don't really understand this. I think we could say it this way or if you want to say this in english this makes more sense and so we would try it a different way oh so you so, sorry so you were afforded a level of freedom if for example if you felt that that some of the lines needed some improvement with change i you know i don't remember if that happened it might have and i'm gonna say if it if it did i'm gonna say they were probably pretty okay with it mm. i don't I don't remember if I ever said, boy, you know, I don't get this line. Even though that, even though that did happen. Even though, even though there were some lines that were like, well, I'm not really sure what this means. Barry! What is it? Look out! It's a monster! Let me take care of it! What the hell is this thing? You! Freeze! Get away from him, Jill! He's insane! We better report this to Wesker. There's one particular line in, in that vein I wanted to ask you about. This cursed burden that the Resident Evil voice actor has to contend with. Did this B-movie almost stilted style with odd pregnant pauses, did that style jump off the page when you were first given the, the script translations? Or, or did you become more apparent of that style as, as your dialogue with your co-actors developed? Yeah, I think that there probably were some times like that, but you know, also as a professional, your job is to bring the clients and creators idea to life. Uh, it's not my job to be uh, a writer or a director or, uh, you know, an editor. My job is to help them visualize their idea as best I can. Mm. So that's what I tried to do. That specific style, that almost B-movie style, that was never specifically approached or mentioned by the, the, the developers when they, when they were directing you. I don't recall that happening. Uh, maybe there was uh, some instances like during the, during the session where, where uh, 
I was asked to bring that out more by the director, uh, but I don't think I was ever given a style. There were lines that you felt may affect the integrity of, of the character? I don't know about the integrity, but there were some that, that, that seemed uh, like a, 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 not in the manner of normal speaking, let's say, or some, some, some I don't want to say, they weren't really cliches, they were more like, well, there's some uh, metaphors or, or whatever that eh, people don't usually talk like this. Uh, so, so in that respect, Jill, don't scare me. Speak for yourself, Barry. What are you doing here? Yeah. Well, uh, I think you should take a look at this. I warn you, though, it's not pretty. It's forest. could have done this to him. God only knows, but I'm gonna find out what did this to him. Jill, could you investigate other areas? Yeah, sure. Jill, this is no longer useful to Forrest. We don't know what's going to happen. Take it with you. I still can't believe it. My next two questions may be a little unfair, and with the privilege of hindsight, would you change any subtle cadence or tone to Barry's sort of dialogue, to his statements or to his responses? But as I say, the time has passed since that. Well, I think that I, I think that's probably a common thing, at least for me. You know, after you've done something and now you've seen it produced and you've seen uh, uh, people's reactions to it and you've seen uh, uh, communities. Uh, emotional feelings towards something and you can always think of wow you know if I had known this then mm -hmm. I might have done it this way or might have I might have played this scene this different way so I guess there's always some kind of a hindsight of some sort yeah and you're being very polite because I was going to draw you onto a, a particular scene from Resident Evil and this ties in with a question lots of asked if there are particular lines that still resonate with you if you have any particular lines that you remember or subject of bad lines um, one that you know resonates with the whole community is the scene where Barry frees Jill from the impending doom of being squashed by a descending ceiling I don't know if you recall this scene at all She's in. She's locked in a room, similar to that sort of scene in Star Wars, where where they're in the the, the garbage compactor, but the, the the ceiling is coming down on Jill, and just at the last moment, Barry shoots the the the, the door handle and, and and gets her out the room with a very very famous line. That was a close one. A second later, you would have fitted nicely into a sandwich. <laughs> I do remember some of these. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, which is a slight improvement on the original, which was, that was too close, you were almost a Jill sandwich. But that, I have to tell you that that line is infamous throughout the community. Um, you know what, I think now that you said Jill sandwich, I think that was, a, I think that may have been a line that we did both ways in the session. 
I absolutely remember the Jill sandwich uh, uh, reference. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And, and can I assure you, we're, 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 the whole community is one is 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 very aware um, that that's the burden that you're given. You know that, that that's very much the script that that that, that you are you are lumbered with. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was quite one of the, that was quite likely one of those instances I talked to you about before, which was uh, we tried some things a few different ways. Like we'll do it this way, hmm. and the director and or the the creators would look and uh, look at each other and say. Let's say this line as an alternate, maybe, and see if this works better. And then, you know, it's, of course, it's up to them to decide. And uh, uh, I, I believe that's one. Of, that was one of those times. close one. A second late, you would have fit nicely into a sandwich. Really? Thanks. But Barry, didn't you say you were going back to the dining room to find other clues? I'm glad and all, but why are you here? I just had something I wanted to check. Anyway, we should get back to searching for Wesker and Chris. Thanks, Barry. I owe you one. Don't mention it. Well, I stuck with what was on the page. I was told to do something a little differently. I mean, the only thing I would change would be, uh, you know, an emotion or an inflection mm. or, a, or, a, or, a, or a, you know, a feeling behind or any of that sort of motivation. You know, just, uh, you know, actor stuff, not, not uh, writer stuff. I mean, that, that brings me on, on to my last question, which was whether you would like the opportunity to voice Barry in further Resident Evil games. I would, I would love that opportunity. I would love to do all sorts of voicing of characters in video games and animation. So, yes. Get, getting back to that, that obviously strong reliance on trying to to get a character through with just the cadence and tone of your voice. I imagine that that might be a frustration or quite a barrier to get past in really trying to bring your character to life. Um, it can be. Um, it just depends on, on a number of things. You know, you once you, I think in a, in a major character that you're playing through an entire project, uh, that's the character that you have. And, you know, there's a, there's a, as with any other human being, there's a range of emotions that person has and a range of feelings and, and, you know, widely vary, vary from that. And I think you get into a zone and, uh, okay, here's what we know about Barry and here's his background and here's his situation and here's his, uh, emotional state that, that, such and such a particular time, and and you go with that. Hopefully, based on the the situations that that character encounters within the the story you're trying to tell, and uh, 
you you work with us. Well, Ed, thank, thank you very, very much. You truly are the one iconic voice of Barry Burton, as I said, who really is one of Resident Evil's most discussed, loved, and, and heartfelt characters. He, he, he's one of the most talked about, emotionally dynamic character backgrounds, uh, and you voiced him with considerable presence, uh, which befitting of, of that backstory. Um, so, Ed, thank you very, very much for me and the whole Resident Evil community for being so agreeable and generous during this entire interview process. That's very nice of you to say, and I was happy to do it. I, uh, it was uh, nice meeting you, and uh, I'm uh, very appreciative of uh, everybody all over who has uh, been a fan of the show, and uh, it was nice talking to you all. Barry. Jill, got any good news? Other than I'm still alive in this madhouse? No. Can't say it's much safer here either. We'd better secure our escape route first. There's gotta be a back door somewhere. All right then, let's split up again. Hey, hold on a sec. Look what I've found. What? A can of fizz. It's sure to yellow and mellow those things. It's yours. Hopefully you won't have to use it. What about you? Oh, don't worry. I like the buddy system we have here. SAA received intel as to the whereabouts of Umbrella's founder. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters! The Elvis missile is carrying the T-virus in major cities across the United States. Come Our platoon is cut off! No survivors found! This is Carlo! If you succeeded in developing the world's most powerful biological weapon, what would you do? Discipline breeds unity. Unity breeds power. Here will become the place of Umbrella's demise. This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder.